I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Watson. We're live on YouTube here. It's the AFC and NFC East. It's definitely Thursday. Preview show. Yeah, today's the 17th. It's Thursday. Absolutely Thursday mm-hmm. for you. But yeah, maybe I'm wearing the same thing as yesterday. Maybe Sam is as well. But we're talking AFC and NFC East. Maybe we're on the road right now on our way to Detroit and Jacksonville. Yeah, I actually I brought in a, a change of clothes so I could like completely pull off the ruse and then you, you blew forgot. it yesterday no no no. you just you were already like oh, oh i told you yeah. we're gonna record this so I was last like, time fine. then there's no point last time you changed shirts in between podcasts you almost got arrested and sent to uh i don't know deported basically at the super bowl oh well, yeah 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 i lost don't, the don't change your shirt lost the credential in the bathroom you did. or maybe yeah. in the bathroom yeah we're calling homeland security on you they were they were gonna they were it's very the serious. guy was saying if you lose the NFL credential, they have to alert, you know, NFL security or whatever. And then there are three separate agencies get involved. Homeland's One in of there. whom is Homeland Security. FBI. I forget. Yeah. And whatever the other third one was. Insane. All just for a credential that's missing in a secure area, by the way. Like the area it would have gone missing was like past the point where you need the credential. So anyone in this area already has a credential. It's not like you lost it, you know out in the open where anybody actually would have value from it because they can now get somewhere secure. Kind of crazy. All right, we're going to stay on point here. Yeah. We have to stay on point, so let's just do it. And um, we're going to do this. We're going to start with the NFC East. Okay. We usually start with the AFC. And uh, we broke our we, – we did do eight straight years of always starting with the Bills mm. in all of our previews. So now Bills fans, they asked for something to, to look forward to. So second half of the show, Bills fans. Or you could click the link below if you're watching YouTube. But, yeah, you know. Uh, second half of the show. So we're going to start NFC East, 15 minutes per team, Sam. We will never break it. Timer starts now on the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys coming off of a disappointing playoff loss to the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional round. I think they've done some good things this offseason, though. There's two moves. Yeah, two moves in particular for the Cowboys. Very simple. Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks. Trading for both players last year, we see they were 12 and five, projected for 9.24 wins per PFF's projected wins. But I think adding receiver depth with Brandon Cooks, cornerback depth with Stephon Gilmore, did that early in the offseason, allowed them to have flexibility in the draft, and I think it's uh, yeah, a good offseason. I think for Dallas heading into this year. No, I do as well. Like I, I those two moves are, are really interesting, really good ones. Stephon Gilmore has shown in the last couple of years he can still play at a really high level. Maybe he isn't where he was when he was the best cornerback in the NFL for a few seasons, but he's still a really high-level corner. And now you're not it, – it's a bit like James Bradbury where his role is completely different now. Trevon Diggs is on the other side. Um, Gilmore can go – to being more of a sort of secondary threat, secondary coverage guy. And as we know, cornerback generally, secondary is a weak link type of enterprise. Like the, the worst player is the problem, not the best. So should massively upgrade the entire secondary across the board. 
And then Brandon Cooks, I think, can have a similar kind of impact on offense. Like, it gives them somebody else genuinely concerning for a defense to worry about so that CeeDee Lamb can't be the focus of everything. Um, And also, independent of those moves, Michael Gallup is another year removed from the injury that that really held him back last year, I think. Um, They paid him significant money for a reason, and it was just that he came off an injury and it sort of looked like a bad deal. Jalen Tolbert has been making a ton of plays in training camp as well. A guy that I really liked last year didn't do anything basically as a rookie, but might be a Romeo Dobbs situation where it just, you know, it's going to take some receivers time. We're, we're sort of spoiled by how seamlessly a lot of wide receivers can come into the NFL and, and get cracking right away. But I'm sure some still require, you know, a year of seasoning before they're able to show what they're capable of doing. Yeah, just to let's let's stay on the offense for a little bit here. There was there was points last year. CD Lamb, by the way, emerged as the true number one, seventh most valuable receiver in the NFL last year per PFF WAR. Had a very good grade, but you, tactically, we saw what happened on a week to week basis when they did not have Amari Cooper and you did not have uh, Michael Gallup healthy. It was too much CD Lamb, and then it became Dalton Schultz, right? So in 2021, Dalton Schultz at tight end was a good fourth option in your pass game well there was a lot of games where Schultz had to become your number two option this year Schultz is out but CD gets to be the number one Brandon Cooks who's been productive since the 80s with every single quarterback right Brandon Cooks is a very good solid receiver every system the guy produces Cooks as a two Gallup as a 2A 2B and you know, you don't need a Dalton Schultz now. Jake Ferguson, who's actually a little bit more athletic, he gets to be your number four target as a second-year tight end here. Luke Schoonmaker, who they drafted tight end in, in the second round as well, got a little bit of athleticism there. We'll also see a lot more just straight-up Tony Pollard touches mm. once he's back and healthy. It's a potentially explosive offense on paper with that personnel, a better-looking offense than it was last year. Then the question becomes, Kellen Moore is out a lot of mixed reviews on Kellen Moore. Some people think he's great. Some people think he's terrible because you just always have to blame the offensive coordinator if everything's not great. But he's a good offensive coordinator overall. And Mike McCarthy's now taken over the play calling. Yeah, it's funny. Both sides of the Kellen Moore thing, the Chargers where he's gone to and the Cowboys who've just gotten rid of him, like both teams, fan bases, seem to think that they're now going to be more aggressive. <laughs> one because they've gotten rid of Kellen Moore and one because they brought him in. Um, which I guess is possible. They can be both true at the same time, but I don't think they will be. Um, I think it's in different ways. The, the Cowboys last year, have, they've had a lot of uh, high early down run percentage numbers, and the Chargers just have low average depth of target numbers. Right. I think those are the things that each team is focused on. The interesting thing about McCarthy taking over plays, when, the, when he got run out of Green Bay, basically, it was because him and Rodgers, they probably just hit you know the end of their run, Offense seemed a little oversimplified, maybe too reliant on receivers just winning one-on-ones, not enough schemed throws for Rodgers. We saw when Matt LaFleur came in, more schemed throws. Rodgers goes back to MVP status. That would be my question about this Cowboys offense. Are we just expecting CD and Cooks and Gallup to just win one-on-ones the whole time, or will there be a good combination of schemed plays and also relying on your playmakers? The other thing I think that's going to be fascinating is the backfield because we've been campaigning for so many years for Tony Pollard to become the lead back um, what were instead you know they were sort of piling more into this sunk cost of Zeke Elliott like he's got the big contract we need to keep justifying that so Pollard can't get any kind of bigger role now 
like literally the explanation for for this dynamic is flipped 180 like before it was well we don't know if pollard can carry the load we don't know if blah blah now jerry jones is saying things like when he's being asked you know can tony pollard get this many touches blah blah, blah. he's sort of answering well let me let me ask you this can we afford not to give him this number of touches given how good the guy is? Look at his production. Look at his, you know, efficiency. Look how explosive he is. We can't afford not to give him 300 carries in a season. Um, but it is an unknown. I mean, as much as we've been saying, let's find out where that line is where you get diminishing returns with Tony Pollard, we don't know where the ceiling is of what he can handle. And maybe it is the full workload. And actually, you're going to get a massive upgrade because Pollard is going to be the alpha and he's just one of the best running backs in the NFL. But if there's any substance to the idea that from a, to get the most out of Pollard, you need to restrict his workload to, you know, a, a bit part or a, not even a bit part, but like 50% of a bell cow's workload. Who's the other 50%? Is it really Deuce Vaughn? Give me Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. So the backfield would be explosive, lightweight, you know, sort of skinny, live Tony Pollard and... Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. I, I think I think it's nice to have the old school thunder and lightning backfield. I think that's fun for stories. I think there's an element. To, I, I love the Packers mix of having an A.J. Dillon and, uh, and just having a different type of person to tackle because they've got speed on the perimeter and all of a sudden you have to tackle A.J. Dillon, right? Mm. I like that sometimes. It also, I think, could be overrated. Do you need to have a thunder and lightning? Why can't you have lightning and lightning? <laughs> Why can't you have that? I mean, you can. I think it's fine. I think it. Deuce Vaughn deserves touches. That's all I'm saying. So, I'm, so roll with Tony Pollard. Let him be the, let him be the alpha guy, whatever that looks like in 2023. Right. Um, but I think Deuce Vaughn. He's competing with Malik Davis, Rico Dowdle. I think Deuce Vaughn could be that guy. So, I like this offense. Dak. We've talked a lot about Dak. He had, he had his lowest grade in years mm-hmm. last year, and I think the. How did we make it this far without talking about his interception totals? Um, we try not to jump led into... Led the league. Led the league in interceptions and the whole deal. Um, he did have a higher turnover-worthy play percentage than he'd had in previous years. I don't think interceptions are a problem for Dak. I think they're just an overblown stat any, anyway. But overall, Dak's performance was inconsistent. I think the Cowboys the last couple of years have had spurts of play that are elite. Spurts of play where they are just dominant both sides of the ball including especially on the offense they need some level of consistency and again that's where I think the Cooks addition helps that consistency both on a week-to-week basis as teams take away C.D. Lamb where did a lot of those interceptions come from a bunch of them were miscommunications forcing it to C.D. Lamb throwing into fuzzy pictures whether it was Dak's fault or not you don't have to do that as much when you have other guys getting open so I think the consistency of the offense will be better Dak will have a good season the offensive line looks solid as long as they all stay healthy. Um, Zach Martin's back. So I'm liking this Dallas offense for sure. Tell you what I find interesting about the Dak Prescott interception stuff. Um, so he had 15 interceptions last season and 18 turnover-worthy plays. This is just the regular season. Um, and that number gets actually closer together. So 17 interceptions and, nine, uh, and 20 turnover-worthy plays when you factor in the playoffs. So essentially, he got very unlucky in terms of turnover luck. Not quite at the Matt Ryan butt pick season, where I think he actually had more interceptions than turnover-worthy plays in that ridiculous year, but getting in that direction, right? 
But in his, what, what was it, six years before that combined, he was actually wildly lucky in terms of that ratio. Like he went from one end of the spectrum to the other. For six years, he'd actually had a way lower number of interceptions than his than even the average ratio of interceptions to turnover where he plays. And then went from that to like one of the most unlucky quarterbacks in the NFL. I, so I don't have a good explanation for the first six years as much as the last year. Yeah, I mean, and that's why it's overblown, man. I mean, when you use PFF stats, when you look at turnover-worthy plays being that close to interceptions, and of course, turnover-worthy plays include fumbles. Right. When they're that close to interceptions, there's some bad luck happening. But my, when they're far my, apart, uh, like Geno Smith, second in the league in turnover-worthy plays and fewer than 10 interceptions, there's some good luck happening. Right. Those things tend to even themselves out over time. But That's six all. years is a long time to be consistently skewing in one direction, which was the confusing aspect of that. To gotcha. Uh, defensive side of the ball. Dan Quinn is back. He's been teased as a you know, head coaching candidate over the last couple of years. Micah Parsons heads into year three. Uh, year three for Micah Parsons, supposedly a full-time edge now. Even though most of the time last year he was a full-time edge, it's a little bit different. So that you know they did have some games where he played linebacker last year. So he's that's his role now. He's put on weight and the whole deal. Is Micah Parsons going to be the most unblockable edge in the league this year? There's a chance that he is. Maybe over Miles Garrett, the Boses, and um, anyone else, T.J. Watt. But you've got Parsons. You've got Demarcus Lawrence up front, and then in the draft for the first time in a long time, they addressed defensive tackle with Mozzie Smith. And uh, he had a couple good plays in preseason week one. Defensive line looks really good. And Dan Quinn has done a nice job evolving his defense in the last couple of years. Uses more stunts than anyone else in the league. Knows how to move players around and maximize them. It looks like another good defense for the Cowboys. And then, as we mentioned, Stephon Gilmore plus Trevon Diggs at cornerback this year. Yeah, Jonathan Hankins coming over as well. Hasn't been on a particularly good run of play in the last couple of years, but previous to that has been a really good run defender as well like there was the on off splits were good for him last year we got a question that was an early offseason cowboys fans are tuning in just for this there was a question early in the offseason about hankins on off splits when he was on the run defense was better those are generally noisy stats but you know there could be something to it having the big body there yeah i mean whatever the reality is regarding hankins there's been a clear offseason focus for the cowboys on improving size you know solidity and stoutness up the middle and trying to fix that run defense mozzie smith jonathan hankins those guys and then osa digizua i think has flashed a lot in terms of a more speed pass rushing penetrating type of defensive tackle if that's your four-man line with obviously some depth and some guys that can play in a rotation micah parsons digizua mozzie smith and hankins as the the nose and then Demarcus Lawrence on the other side, that's a really good front four. Um, in addition to you know upgrading the secondary and, and bringing back a guy like Leighton Van Der Esch at linebacker, it should be a really good defense. Yeah, that's basically my takeaway. I think it, you know just so people know, Dan Quinn too coming out of the Seattle system, always ran cover one, cover three, did the same thing in Atlanta. They've mixed it up in Dallas. I love the way Dan Quinn has evolved his game, and when you have a superstar like Micah Parsons. Dude, I mean, they they know how to move him around and create mismatches. And even if they don't, Demarcus Lawrence can get after the quarterback. They have guys that can get after the QB. I'm interested in the last couple of years defensive tackle being so weak for Dallas. Remember, there were some games where they just get run all the way, you know, run over. Mozzie Smith and Jonathan Hankins, do they do they fix that? 
as simple as there's just not going to be games where they get run over. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be fixed? Um, and then again, from a secondary perspective, coming into the offseason, we had no idea who's the corner opposite Javon Diggs. Well, you trade nothing for Stephon Gilmore, who can still play. Guy can still play. Yeah. So there's a ton of potential. Deron Bland did a nice job as a rookie last year playing in the slot. That trio of corners, whatever you think about Diggs, we've talked about him a bunch on the show, but I think he is a potential playmaker. He was much better last year, I think, than his 11 interception season. And it's a pretty good trio at corner. Mm-hmm. Let me so, ask you a question. Yes. Everybody is focusing on Philadelphia, who we'll get to, and San Francisco, who we'll get to a lot later. Um, as the two teams in the NFC, right? The AFC is loaded with contenders left, right, and center. Everybody's going to the Super Bowl. In the NFC, it's Philadelphia, it's San Francisco, and then basically everybody else. Does Dallas actually have a good shot of taking the division and the number one seed? I, I think they should be in the conversation with the Eagles. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the Eagles in a minute here. They should be in the conversation with the Eagles. The Eagles have more turnover. They, they have more turnover on their roster. You also, I mean, I know there's a lot of like, who's better, Dak Prescott or Jalen Hurts debate. And can I just answer and say Jalen Hurts was better last year? But if I was ranking them this year, I'd put Dak ahead of him. As in, who do I have faith in having a better season this year? Probably Dak. Now, if Hurts proves me wrong, I mean, we're, we're one good Jalen Hurts year away from me saying, sure, he's there. He's in the top eight. Lock him in. But I think Dak is also a top eight quarterback, which means you can rank fourth one year. You can rank eighth one year. You can rank 12th. I'd take Dak over Hurts today. And so I think, yeah, Dallas should be very much in the conversation with Philadelphia. They split the series last year, but it was a Gardner Minshew game in Week 16 that, uh, that lost Philadelphia the second one. So yeah. it's, not, you know, it's not exactly fair. <laughs> Some things change when Gardner Minshew is your quarterback versus when Jay I'm not Hurts even comparing is. the head-to-head. I'm just, no, no, I'm not saying you were. As much as, you li- as much as I like the Eagles roster and what they've built – you know, are they definitely that much better than the Cowboys? I don't know that they are. No, I'm Do just we saying have the, as a data I, point. I need my DraftKings over-unders here. Where are we? Do you, want, do you have an answer on that? Two. Can Dallas compete with the Eagles while I'm pulling up the I don't uh, see a reason the they can't. Here? I think if you rewind a year, people weren't expecting Philadelphia to be, you know, the juggernaut that they were. Like, we're now, with the benefit of last season, we are – anticipating the Eagles to be as good as they were a season ago and be the class of the NFC again. There's no reason Dallas can't be that team where they take a big step forward because of the additions that we just talked about and actually they're, yeah. you know, the number one seed. Final thought on that. Last year at this time, I thought Dallas made a mistake or just didn't replace Amari Cooper. So the big question was at receiver and cornerback too. And it didn't, it just, they weren't as good last year, Dallas, right? They had other, they had offensive line issues this year cornerback two and receiver two at two premium positions they have solutions there if if stefan gilmore and brandon cook stay healthy and those guys all stay healthy dallas is competing over under is 10 and a half here sam this year 10 and a half well then over because we're talking them up we're talking a, them up we're going one. over for uh for the dallas cowboys here yep if they're going to be the number one seed they're going to have to have more than that uh who's next on the list giants are coming up next but first as a parent your child's well-being well-being is your top priority you want to see them chase their dreams embrace life's adventures and thrive in this world but you also know that life can be unpredictable and that's why it's important to plan for the unexpected so they can continue to thrive no matter what fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get high quality surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage 
for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, New York Giants are back. They're up next. Mm-hmm. Am I doing this in the right order? Yeah, that's right. Giants coming off of playoff season. Brian Dable's first season. Daniel, they get the most out of Daniel Jones. They do it with a receiving core that doesn't look good on paper at all. Saquon Barkley has a nice year. You get Wink Martindale defensive coordinator with his aggressive scheme playing a ton of man coverage and they just found a way to win games last year sam can the giants do it again this year nine and nine seven and one last year they beat the vikings in the playoffs projected wins down at 7.7 by pff they are the most obvious regression candidate because it didn't feel like what we saw last year was sustainable but making the roster better and can brian dayball and company do it again they are an obvious regression candidate. Um, they are, they, they've had a lot of turnover, though, for a team that you know, was as successful as they were last season. I think they did recognize that it's not necessarily for real, and they, they have some pretty significant moves to make, and they've made a lot of moves. Um, and they've made a lot of moves that could be serious contributors right away, but a lot of those guys are young rookies or you know, inexperienced or whatever. And again, the sort of the most likely outcome for the collective is probably not a tremendous upgrade of what was there a year ago. Like guys like Deontay Banks, their first round rookie, are expected not just to start, but maybe be their number one corner. Um, other players are potentially, other rookies are potentially going to start for them at corner. Like these are significant things. Everybody's sort of pinning their hopes to a guy like Jalen Hyatt as this deep threat as he's been lighting up training camp, but this was a third round pick who was anonymous in the first preseason game. I don't know if that's going to be a thing. And then you have like the the potential projected development of a guy like Evan Neal at right tackle in year two, how given how bad he was in year one, or you know, the addition, the upgrade of a rookie like John Michael Schmitz at center for another, you know, non-first round pick type of guy. So there's been a lot of additions to this team, but I don't know how many of them are going to make it like an obvious immediate year one upgrade over what was there a year ago. The most obvious one of those you can see is the addition of Darren Waller, who has been, you know, uncoverable in training camp, who we know when he's healthy can be one of the best tight ends in the NFL if he stays healthy, which is a pretty significant caveat at this point in his career. He could absolutely move the needle for that team. Oh, man, there's, there's what, five tight ends in the league that have that kind of impact. You've got Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews. Kittle. George Kittle. Waller. Darren Waller. Is there more? Kyle Pitts maybe, maybe. could in the in the right system. But right. there's there's literally a the the tight end, I, I think if you have one of those elite guys, it is a massive advantage. Because we're living in a world, it's it's like the the state of the tight end market right now is there's solid tight ends. Tight ends five through twenty are solid and making a ton of money relative maybe to their play. But a Darren Waller can change an offense. Yeah. Just the same way uh, Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, Gronk could. Like, they have a massive impact on the offense. And that's why I thought the Raiders should have kept Waller. I know there was a falling out there. But mm-hmm. imagine Darren Waller 
actually on the same field with Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers and what they have over there. But now Waller gets to be the guy, and that's where I'm where I would be high on the Giants, right? It's 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 oversimplified to just say, here's their win total. They didn't play as well as their win total last year, therefore they'll regress. But they did it with they they had a good offense. They had a good solid offense despite a bad receiving core on paper. Yeah. Had the Isaiah Hodgins and Ricky, Richie Jameses of the world stepping up. If you had Darren Waller to that mix now and Hyatt can just be the deep threat and Darius Slayton's still there and Paris Campbell's in. I mean, it, again, it's not going to look great on paper, but given what they did last year, I think this offense can be even better. It, yeah, they're, they're a team where every sort of positive outlook or every positive report that comes out about the offense or about anything really, actually, um, there's, there's a sort of obvious negative way of looking at that as well. There's like a an obvious other side of the coin. So Jalen Hyatt has been completely uncoverable in Giants training camp, and it's just lighting up that secondary. And every two seconds, there's a deep bomb to, to Jalen Hyatt, et cetera. You're like, wow, this is going to be an amazing connection. Danny Dimes is back. He's finally got a deep threat. What if the Giants secondary is just that porous? Because, you know, Jamison Williams was wide open behind the defense not behind the defense, but step. was open for a deep shot and then dropped it against the Lions in the preseason. Like, what if the Giants secondary, this man coverage system stuffed full of young players, is actually just about to get torched? Similarly, you know, when you see these Saquon Barkley highlights, it's like, yeah, Saquon's a great running back and a talented uh, playmaker, but he's being covered by a guy like Bobby Okereke who hasn't exactly been an amazing let's, linebacker in the I, past. I would say let's stick to... And, general off-season discussion rather than just responding to training camp. But though. but the Darren Waller thing is similar. It's like we know Darren Waller can make an incredible impact on an offense. And in training camp, the guy's been uncoverable. He's been their lead target. They've actually had times where they've had to take him off the field to get the ball somewhere else, which could be Darren Waller looking like Travis Kelsey again. Or it could be the Giants' defense can't cover anybody. So they have to, you know do things i would say the same thing about waller whether i had training camp reports or not though i think that's a, a potentially huge impact signing it that is the giants made but it, it, it absolutely is but my point simply is there is absolutely a way of reading everything you see about the giants right now as significant upgrades to this team there is also a way of looking at it and saying well hang on there's potential major concerns that might invalidate all of that or negate it or neutralize it or mean that it's simply not going to be enough to keep them where they were a year ago. I think the point all the time when we do these preview shows, though, is there's a lot of times we say, hey, the team looks better, but it might not show up in the win totals. I have to go back and see how many times I've said that through the years. A million. I think the Giants will probably be a better team this year. They still only might win seven or eight games. I mean, that's just that's just the reality. I mean, I think you can I think there's legitimate reason to question whether they'll even be better this year. Like a lot of the additions that they've made are potentially longer term solutions. You know, they're young players or rookies that are not necessarily going to make the impact year one. Fair. Um, so the offensive line, I don't think was was great overall, even though they moved the ball on the ground. I think part of the reason why the Giants had their success last year is they did tap into Daniel Jones as a runner. I've used this stat a lot. Number 20 most rushing yards for a quarterback in NFL history last year with Daniel Jones. And there were just several of those games where he would move the chains uh, with, with his legs. And even though the passing stats weren't pristine, those are, those are hidden yards in a game that just they don't, you don't 
get the feels out of that because it doesn't show up in the passing stat line that most people look at. But Daniel Jones had a good, solid season, and they used that skill set. Now you have Saquon Barkley back, and so there's some creativity to use both of those guys in the run game like they did last year, plus a Darren Waller. I do think this offense isn't going to be great, but it'll be effective. And in the the question, again, will be we just saw Daniel Jones in year four, right? Is he is there another step to take or is it just, you know, they got the most out of him last year? It wasn't like he was it wasn't a top ten or twelve quarterback or anything like that from a grading standpoint, but he had a good solid season. And so I don't know if there's another step to take for Daniel Jones, but they locked him up for a couple of years. Yeah, and it's it's definitely worth the point is fair that he did it with a bad receiving core. There wasn't really anybody that was, you know, putting their hand up and clearly uh helping Daniel Jones out so as much as Daniel Jones didn't necessarily take the jump we expected with Brian Daywell as his head coach you have to factor in who he was throwing the ball to um now the problem with that is it still doesn't look like a particularly good wide receiver core on paper uh it's definitely helped and augmented by the addition of a guy like Darren Waller but you're not looking at this saying wow this year everything's going to be different danny dimes has got weapons all over the place to play with we still might be looking at a situation where daniel jones has got one primary target and a couple of role players and saying that's still not really enough for him to show that he's capable of that kind of uh play that they sort of need him to be now given the contract they put him on i will say though that i can be convinced i don't love a lot of the moves not, not even the moves i don't love how this roster looks like on paper on pretty much both sides of the ball. But I could quite easily be convinced that this is one of the best coached teams in the NFL on both sides of the ball, whether it's Brian Dayball um, and Mike Kafka on offense and then Wink Martindale on defense. I think both sides of the ball are capable of getting more than the sum of the parts. And if we think that that's the explanation for last year, as opposed to simple overachieving, like overachieving with the implication that that will inevitably regress next year, it might be overachieving as a product of good coaching. And actually, this team is capable of getting two, three, four wins more than the sum of their parts every single year. And if that's the case, they might not regress. Yeah, I, if you listen to my GM segment yesterday and I talked about, hey, the team that overachieved one yesterday. Year. Yesterday, yeah, a couple hours ago. The the team that overachieved last year, you know, how, how do you address that in the offseason? You say, hey, we overachieved. We need to be aggressive. I, I, there's a handful of games where I can remember, hey, the Giants' aggressiveness, the Green Bay's drive in, in London, and Giants' aggressiveness leads to an incompletion on fourth down to win the game, right? A play here, a play there. Uh, Daniel Jones using his legs in certain games to, to win the game. Dexter Lawrence in the playoff game against the Minnesota Vikings just dominating those things are tough to replicate, but that's the part of the defense that's really interesting to me for the Giants. Dexter Lawrence had a monster season last year at nose tackle. He's next to Leonard Williams, who has been quietly one of the most just solid, productive players in the NFL over the last eight or nine years. And then Kayvon Thibodeau had a good rookie season. Looks like he could have another uh, step forward there. We're, we're looking at playmakers on this defensive line. Are, are, are they strong in these areas where you're going to get the, the Dexter Lawrence game. You're going to get a Kayvon Thibodeau game. You're going to get these one-off games that are going to be where that difference is made up. The strength on the defensive line, I think, is really intriguing to me for this for this defense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I am 
I am intrigued by what the Giants can do. I think from a personnel standpoint, regression looks obvious, but I'm not I'm not 100% convinced that's going to happen because I think there's definitely something to the idea of the coaching there. So the young corners we're talking about, it's a sixth rounder or fifth rounder, Trey Hawkins. I say sixth or fifth. Late round pick, Trey Hawkins. Getting all the all the buzz so far during training camp, running with the ones next to Deontay Banks, the first round pick. Um, Banks was an interesting prospect because I, I honestly think one of the most athletic corners I've ever seen. Oh yeah, as far as pure Crazy. speed, movement skills, makeup speed. I think there's some work to do with technique. He's not the same body type as a Tariq Woolen, but um, who last year had that breakout year with Seattle. But when you watch Tariq Woolen in his speed and length, and you said, "Man, if you figure out some technique and figure uh, improve as a as a football player, there's some potential there." I think Banks has some of that. You cut down on some of those ugly plays, he could have a really nice season because the tools are incredible. Um, but we're talking about two rookies running with the ones here and uh, a Dory Jackson moving to the slot most likely. Uh, it's, it's a little hit or miss on the secondary because it's young. But if they figure it out early on, again, we could be seeing the Giants surprising some people on defense. I mean, when was the last time two rookie corners started and it worked well? Who started two rookie corners? That's, yeah. <laughs> when was the last time two rookie corners started? And then once you figure that part out, when was the last time it worked well for a team? I don't know. It's a yeah. lot easier when it's one. We don't, we don't know if that's definitely what's going to happen, but the backups are Darius Williams, Amani Oruwariye, Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes. It's not like it's a great-looking cornerback room. Mean, so, yeah, there's potential. Now, what you said was John Michael Schmitz at center might take a year or two. Yeah for an interior lineman might take a year or two for rookie corners but yeah there's potential there to be a really good roster or much better roster maybe next year those could absolutely be their two best options i'm not saying they're not i'm just saying that if if you if you strip out you know emotion and and all this like if you simply put that in front of somebody and said team x is going to be rolling into the season starting a first round rookie and a sixth round rookie at corner as their principal options how will that go yeah you wouldn't have high hopes for that even if even before by the way you got around articulating that and we'll be running man coverage basically all the time a lot of cover zero in there like you know some aggression will be involved you you know you wouldn't you wouldn't bank on that doing incredibly well i want to just circle back to the offense real quick then we'll make our picks for the giants um number nine last year in epa per play offensively the giants i think they were top 10 in defense as well yeah. in EPA so per play. The, the other the point i wanted to make on offense though was the team they did it with the lowest passing grade as a team among teams in the top 15. And they did it with the lowest PFF grade. So again, I, I like to use grade versus grade is how well players played. And then EPA is how well the unit played. If that's the thing that remains consistent, as you said, the coaching staff mm -hmm. is going to get the most out of them. It's been one year of Dable, but we've seen him have a lot of success and help Josh Allen in his development, the whole deal. If that is a thing, though, the the Giants could be the team that's always going to look better than the you know the sum of their parts, right? Is going to be the key rather than the parts themselves. We'll see if they can do it again this yeah, year. Yeah, I think those that, those discrepancies between like the measurable data and the results, it's very difficult to identify. Is that a is that a is the difference between those two things a coaching? aspect that we're not really able to capture in data or is that an obvious disconnect that will is, is the product of variance and yeah. inevitably regression will solve that in the future i think that's basically the the dilemma 
that is involved in dealing with the Giants. Like there's a very clear disconnect between their results and what they quote unquote should have achieved last season. And we are as yet unable to identify if that is a product of them having superior coaching or they essentially just got lucky. More Giants data points this year. More Giants data points. All right, over-unders, DraftKings is expecting regression. Seven and a half for the Giants here. Uh, Seven and a half. I think I might go over that. I'm going over for everybody. they're going to hit. I mean, seven wins would be harsh. That would be a pretty big. I'm going to go over. You're going over? Yeah. I think I want to go. Oh, I want to go over as well. I'm still expecting regression, but not that hard. I didn't go crazy overs uh, on the last show, but you know, last year I think I did 75% overs because we're being positive here in the preseason. All right, Philadelphia Eagles up next. But first, this season, DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history. Right now, you can enter into DraftKings best ball tournament for a shot at over $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes. Make your entry into the draft today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster, waiver wires, or anything else. To start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app using code PFF. Enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest and then snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, no drops, no trades. No, I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points at the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF to start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Philadelphia Eagles. Super Bowl loss last year. They had an incredible season. They looked like they had an incredible offseason. I think on our preview show last year, maybe it was our bold pick segment, you actually picked the Eagles mm. for the Super Bowl. They were a Super Bowl. I forget who my other yeah. side was, but it, they were definitely one of them. It was Bills, right? It was Bills-Eagles. Bills-Eagles, maybe, or Chargers-Eagles or something Eagle, to that Bills, effect. Bills-Eagles the whole way. And um, it's tough to remember what we all thought last year at this time. But last year at this time, I think the sentiment around the Eagles was good offseason. Yeah. They made a lot of good shrewd moves, but nobody was like, man, here we go. Eagles, they're they're primed to be the best team in the NFC. Right. The NFC last year at this time looked like it was Packers, Bucks, and Rams. It was Rodgers and the Packers, Brady and the Bucks, Rams coming off a Super Bowl, but it became the Eagles, 14 and 3. They're projected to uh, 10.37 wins again this year. What are your thoughts on the Eagles, what they've done this offseason, and if they can get back to the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to dislike the personnel moves that they've made kind of across the board. Um, they managed to retain both James Bradbury and Darius Lay after the seasons that those two guys had last year, and when it seemed inevitable that they would lose at least one, if not both of them. Um, then, in addition to that, they you know added some young players in the draft, like guys like Keely Ringo, who don't need to start. Like the difference between that and the Giants is those guys are not going to be relied upon day one. They, if they turn into anything, it'll either be next year or you know injury contingency, all those kinds of things. Um, and then where they, so that's kind of future proofing that position for next year, and then they're potentially benefiting from doing that in the last couple of years in a couple of other positions. So they let go of TJ Edwards at linebacker, Nicobe Dean theoretically steps right in and mans that spot. 
Um, same with safety. They let go of players and Reed Blankenship, who played some last season, gets to step in and become a full-time player. So Terrell Edmonds comes in. Yeah, really across the board, they've done a really good job of backfilling and, and fixing the holes that were going to be departed. On the offensive line, same thing. Yeah. Say Amalu goes in free agency, Cam Jurgen steps in, he's now the right guard. Um, so it's difficult to dislike it. The only caveat is it is an unknown, right? And simply changing, changing what was working is not is not a good thing inherently right it's a reality of the nfl you basically cannot keep the entirety of a winning roster together it's impossible you can keep a winning roster together but it's by focusing on the nucleus and then changing the pieces around it and hoping it all continues to be as successful as possible but you simply cannot pay everybody on a winning roster every single season you don't have it's a, it, there's too much money and you can't do that so you need to be right when you make these kind of moves. But all you can do is, you know, future-proof it, make the theoretical right move, and then hope you don't get bitten by a goof somewhere along the line. They, they really hit on their buy lows last year. Uh, Hassan Reddick comes in and is an elite pass rusher. And James Bradbury, as we mentioned, yeah. you buy low on him. And uh, it didn't look like they were going to keep James Bradbury and Darius Slight, who were both uh, the most productive cornerback duo in the NFL, but they're both back. Um, it's tough to always hit on those, but that's uh, they do a great job as an organization. And then you know, bringing in Jalen Carter in the draft, it's not just picking a good player, but like you may have just picked a superstar, yeah, by accident to re you know to to load up that defensive line that's all already really loaded, right? So they have a style. Um, they they are taking by low shots on guys like Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. You know, getting Jalen Carter at number nine overall, getting Nolan Smith at the end of the first round as a pass rusher for Georgia. Neither guy has to quote unquote start. Yeah. But Jalen Carter, when he's when he's ready to play, you know, six, seven hundred snaps, he will. When he's ready to play 45, 50 snaps a game, he can if he needs to. So yeah, they're in a really good spot there. And then the other buy low last year was AJ Brown. I mean, you a first round pick for AJ Brown for a top five to eight receiver in the NFL that has that type of impact. That was unbelievable by the Eagles, and that, I think that aided in Jalen Hurts' development. And what we saw from the Eagles last year was the ability to win games in different ways every single week. There were weeks where it was only A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith at receiver taken over. There was other games where it was the, run, the, the running attack. There was other games where they'd sack the quarterback six or seven times. So they have different ways to win because they've built that depth they're not just dependent on a couple players or a couple units. Top to bottom, the depth is there. And you know, I mentioned in the DAC conversation, Jalen Hurts was very good last year. He's also been put into a great position uh, schematically, personnel-wise, and head coach Nick Sirianni. It felt like every single edge that the NFL has right now, whether it's double-cheek push, whatever it might be, going forward on fourth down, they are taking advantage of those, uh, of those edges, right? So I think the Eagles are in great shape. My question with Jalen Hurts is, okay, go go do it one more time. Let's see if you are that consistent top eight quarterback. They just paid him last year like he is that. And so that's going to affect the Eagles going forward. Can they continue to bring in the James Bradbury's of the world with you know more money on Jalen Hurts' contract? Might be more difficult, but if Hurts continues to progress, it won't matter a whole lot. Yeah, they've they've lost the sort of the biggest cheat code in the NFL, which is, you know, the the rookie contract quarterback. And in particular, the rookie contract that isn't in the first round. I mean, that's 
any rookie deal for a quarterback is an incredible shortcut to salary cap, um, salary cap success, salary cap uh, comfort. But when you have a guy on a rookie contract, a quarterback, not in the first round, it's even it's it's supercharging that advantage. And obviously, um, Jalen Hurts was drafted in the second, so he was on absolute peanuts relative to a lot of basically any other quarterback in the NFL. Now they've got to pay him significant money, so it is it's going to be a different dynamic for the Eagles going forward. One point, by the way, the AJ Brown trade we always refer to that as a first round pick. It, it was also a third which we never mentioned, but is actually a significant enough pick that it's probably worth mentioning. It's still a steal. Still a steal. It doesn't yeah. change anything, but it is, it's not just a first round pick. Like the third rounder is still a potentially important draft pick. Oh yeah, of course. Um, that should be noted. But again, I, I just, the, the Eagles process yeah. overall. I mean, the they, process throughout the last several years has yeah. basically been flawless. Like they have, from a process standpoint, nailed almost everything. Everything they've done has been fairly sound, and even when they've screwed up, they've fixed it, or it hasn't made a difference. Like, drafting Jalen Rager is one of the worst personnel moves that's been made in the NFL in the last several years, right? They drafted Jalen Rager, what, one pick ahead of Justin Jefferson. Catastrophic mistake in terms of evaluation. Not only did you err in thinking this guy was good because it looks like he's an absolute train wreck, but you also erred in thinking the guy picked one step behind him wasn't particularly good because otherwise you would have drafted him, you know, late in the first round. So just a, a literally a horrendous personnel mistake from multiple different angles. But you then fix that by going to get A.J. Brown for a first and a third round pick and the contract that it requires to tie him down. Like they have done an outstanding job of getting most things right and then when they've screwed it up, finding a way of fixing it quickly. I tried to simplify it in a tweet right around the draft, but they turned their 2020 tank job last week of the season pretty much into the number six overall pick that year. Yeah. Flipped it for number 12, moved down to get an extra 2022 first rounder, traded Carson Wentz for a 2022 first rounder, traded one of those for A.J. Brown, also drafted Jordan Davis, then took one of those picks, traded it forward to 2023, which turned into Jalen Carter. So losing a game on purpose in the last week of the season and trading Carson Wentz turned into Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, and A.J. Brown. There's other stuff involved. There's the third rounder and the whole thing, but oversimplified. Really good moves by the Eagles. And that's why they're in the position they're in. And that's with a very good on-paper roster. Uh, when I'm an analyzing the roster, I always start with the quarterback and then jump to the receivers. And we've talked a lot about A.J. Brown and his elite ability but Devontae Smith as the two last year, um, is he like a T. Higgins? Should we be thinking of him as a T. Higgins where he's he's like a fringe wide receiver one? There were games where Devontae Smith was outstanding, and he's proved that the, the size thing isn't a major issue here. It's awesome that he doesn't have to be the one. I don't know if he does it every week, but I love that one-two punch of A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and then you also have Dallas Goddard at tight end. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an open question at the moment how good Devontae Smith could be if A.J. Brown wasn't there. Um, but he doesn't have to deal with that situation, at least not, uh, not outside of Brown getting injured. Um, so it's not really a reality we need to confront at the moment. And as that, as the role that he's currently in, the number two, he looks absolutely outstanding. Incredible body control, incredible route running, incredible sideline ability, great hands. 
he's a perfect secondary complement, and that's you know Brown, Dallas Goddard. That's what the collective makes that offense so impossible to stop. So it's a very good offense. Hurts threw the ball well last year. They used him as a runner. He had several games with 12, 15, 18 carries. They lean into what what's working, right? They they go with what's working from uh, from an offensive standpoint. So if they stay healthy, as every other team, if they stay healthy, they're looking really good offensively. And How about defense? Just one more thing from a process standpoint. You know the the Eagles, I think, have seven players, seven running backs currently on the roster. Oh yeah. All seven of them combined are earning less this year than the Jets are giving Dalvin Cook. Yeah. Like, that's and, – and by the way, nobody's looking at this, this running back depth chart and going, wow, the Eagles are screwed in the backfield. Like, they don't have a run game. We're looking at this backfield and saying, that's a pretty useful backfield. We might not know how exactly it's going to break down in terms of, you know, is it going to be Kenneth Gainwell? Is it going to be Rashad Penny? Trey Sermon, the, the, the dark horse. We might not know exactly how it's going to break down, but nobody's looking at it going, that's a problem. And yet the entirety of it is costing less than the Jets gave up for Dalvin Cook. Yeah, in that group is Rashad Penny, who's averaged six yards a pop the last couple right. of years when he's been healthy. Kenneth Gainwell, who's been very effective when given the opportunities. DeAndre Swift, who's been a good pass-catching back, so they might be able to steal a few free plays in the pass game out of him. So yeah, uh, very good process. The great Boston Scott. The great Boston Scott, Giants killer. When he faces the Giants, he'll be fine. Uh, defensively, the Eagles forever under Howie Roseman always build through that defensive line, and they keep replenishing. Fletcher Cox is back. You've got the the old veterans like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham are back, but they I mentioned Hassan Reddick that they brought in, but they've developed a Josh Sweat as a productive player. They've got Jalen Carter to develop now. Derek Barnett is still there and back. They're deep. Man, they like to play seven to nine defensive linemen a week pretty significantly, and they've got the group again to do that. Yeah, and from a process standpoint, you know, you could you would look at Fletcher Cox and re-signing him this year, and you would say from a process standpoint that that looks like a bad move. You know, that's quite a lot of money for a guy who's significantly declining at this point in his career. I mean, you go back, what, 2018, he had a PFF grade of 92.5. He had 95 total pressures that year. He was right up there with Aaron Donald. The following year, 84.5, 74.1, 66.7. I mean, this is a fairly significant step, step, step down. And then last year, 56.4. For a guy who is 32 years old, will be 33 in the middle of the season, you'd look at that and you'd say, not only is this the time to get out, like the time to get out was a year ago. We were already too late. Um, but I think even a move like that, you can look at it and say, I don't have a good way of quantifying the impact Fletcher Cox can make as a veteran mentor to Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter in particular. I, I don't have any way of quantifying that, but I think it would be crazy to dismiss that as nothing. Like he can absolutely, if he does nothing this year as a player, if he's able to keep those guys if he's able to help their development, if he's able to sort of mentor them in terms of, a, you know, the way to be a professional in the NFL and generally able to steer their careers in the right direction, you are potentially molding, you know, the two most important players on that defensive front for the next five, ten years, depending on how the contracts work out, et cetera. So I think even there, you can look at it and say, all right, from a strictly analytical spreadsheet approach on the field, 
that doesn't look like a great move, but it's very easy to justify that in terms of the other stuff. Um, also, just really interested in Jordan Davis generally because we talk a lot about, hey, this first-round pick is going to make a huge impact. We talked a lot about Jordan Davis last offseason. He's supposed to allow you to play the run with lighter boxes. He's supposed to allow you to do all these different things. He's a freak athlete, and he's massive. Can he develop as a pass rusher? Can he stay on the field? We only saw him for 270 snaps last year. He was playing limited time, and he also battled injuries in the middle of the season, was not nearly as effective in the second half of the year. So can he live up to his hype, 13th overall pick? And um, he's supposed to bring a lot of flexibility to that defense with his, you know, stop the run, you know, by himself, basically. Um, that's the expectation. See if he can do it this year. So we've talked up the Eagles quite a bit here. I still think Dallas will be right up there with them in the NFC East, but I love the Eagles, their roster, and what they've built there. Um, over under here for DraftKings, where are we, Eagles? It also sounds stupid, by the way, but and a half. it's a really Im I think it's a genuinely important point that the NFL did not outlaw double-cheek push in the offseason. Like, their cheat code of short yardage sneak plays is still a cheat code. It's basically impossible to stop the way the rules are currently set up, which is you park your quarterback there in the sneak position, and you have two guys positioned behind him whose job it is to drive that guy over the line of scrimmage. The way the rules are currently set up, it is basically impossible to stop that play for a defense. Um, the Eagles, what were they were 80-something percent successful in those plays, and they have already shown they've got wrinkles off the back of it. Like if you are prepared to st stack the A-gap with, with like five bodies, they've already shown you know trick plays to run motion off it and get around the edge. It's. I think it's important. Like that's difficult to overstate how big of a potential advantage that is over teams that aren't yet doing it. Of I don't like it. Some. I don't like it one bit. Yeah, and you don't have to, but it doesn't change the fact that that's actually a huge advantage they have over most teams in the NFL as things currently stand. We were on time. We were on time, and then you went two and a half minutes on double cheek push. Yeah. We were on time to get the Eagles analysis done. Mm -hmm. Eleven and a half over under on the Eagles. Over. Over as well. Everybody's going over here in the NFC East. I think we're going to have to. Are we going to have to trash the Commanders? Are we going to have to say under for the Commanders? Am I just secretly optimistic about all these NFC teams? Is that what it is? <laughs> what do you mean secretly? You're because always, I think the AFC is loaded. You're always Mr. Optimism. But you're the one going over on all of it. I've gone over a few times. It's still August, and if you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you escape from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure that we all have a ball this summer by keeping your pants partners everything they need, giving them everything <laughs> they need to stay fresh. Power <laughs> threw me off. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare for that summer bod. They built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Our Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, and it gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for more, a more precise shave. Did I mention the trimmer is also waterproof? Beach, lake, or shower? This razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. It's the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. So you get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on, board, or get left behind. 
Good reading. Well, that was just a perfect, Steve. Uh, perfect promotion start to finish. No notes. No. <laughs> just perfect. Well done. All right, Washington Commanders to round out the NFC East, who were surprisingly high on, I guess. Maybe not surprisingly. We're just high on them. Uh, Commanders, interesting story here. Rolling with, uh, coming off an 8-8-1 and record, rolling with Sam Howell at quarterback, projected for 7.17 wins per PFF's projections. Sam Howell leading the, leading the charge in Washington. We think quarterback has been an issue for them the last couple of years. They haven't had their long-term play. Is Sam Howell the guy? Fifth-round pick last year. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm I'm interested to watch. <laughs> I same. I, you know, I, I I find it hard to have a particularly strong take on Sam Howell one way or the other. I know people expect everybody to have. You know, we've seen him for five seconds. Why not have everything already nailed? Sam Howell is just a fascinating case study of quarterback development or quarterback opportunity. Guys taken in the fifth round tend not to get those kind of starting gigs, right? And by that I mean going into a season as the presumed starter, theoretically supposed to play at least 17 games. That doesn't really happen anymore for guys picked that low in the draft unless it's immediately obvious, like with Dak Prescott, you know, fourth round, where from basically day one in training camp, everybody was aware that the evaluation on him in the draft was just incorrect immediately. It's like, we just got this wrong. Like, this guy's a star. That's not what's happening with Sam Howell. Like, from day one, we weren't saying oh, the dude we drafted in the fifth round is actually the best quarterback on the roster. Make him a starter now. What's happened is we simply, <laughs> the, preview, the guys ahead of him on the depth chart have crapped out, and we, got, we came around to this idea of, well, maybe the fifth rounder has actually got some juice. You know, he, A year ago, we thought he was really good, and then things fell apart a little bit. We drafted him in the fifth. He's got an arm. He's got the size. Like, why not give him a shot? And then they gave him a shot in a game. And he showed some stuff, and he showed some stuff in preseason. And it's enough to be like, well, what the hell? Let's give it a shot. Let's see if it works. Um, so I'm just, I'm all about that opportunity. I don't think it happens enough in the NFL. And I get why, but I'm invested in just seeing how it works out, whether it goes well or badly for him. I feel like I'm hearing a Baker Mayfield career arc. Not even arc, but what you just described was this roller coaster of emotions over a four-year period of Sam Howell. Pretty much, right? I mean, as a true freshman, he looked outstanding at, at UNC, solid as a sophomore as well. Junior year, he lost all of his receivers and became a battering ram runner that he had never shown in right. his first two years in college. That didn't make any sense whatsoever, but he did it and he showed it. Preseason last year, you know, for, for whatever it's worth, depending on who you talk to, there was either hype or there was like, I, I, I think I was more like pump the brakes on Howell. There was some cool stuff that he did. Yeah. But there was some disastrous plays in there. He held the ball forever in the pocket. Still does it a little bit. And then he's got the one start last year. Yeah. Where people were like, he had a couple deep balls. He's awesome. So it's a roller coaster of remote of emotions here for Sam Howell. And I'm with you. Let's just I, I don't have any strong takes either way. But I've been think, some good, some bad. Let's see. Yeah, but I also think from a stylistic point of view, like the Baker Mayfield comp is not a terrible one. What you could be looking at from everything we've seen so far, is a Baker Mayfield style of quarterback, which is actually pretty high in terms of he'll make a big-time throw quite often. He'll also make mistakes reasonably often, though probably not as often as you think. Like, it's more they're bad when they go. So, like, Baker Mayfield's turnover-worthy play rate, as much as you would think it's catastrophic, actually isn't that bad. It's more 
His basic problem has actually been an accuracy more than anything else. But that kind of style of quarterback, right? The highly volatile Baker Mayfield, Jameis Winston type of player. A lot of good, a lot of bad. Um, with the addition of he's 220 pounds and can actually run the ball really well. Like what if that, what if that was a feature of Baker Mayfield's game? How much would that help him in the NFL? And then the one other thing I think that's becoming reasonably obvious is a feature of Sam Howell's game is the dude is a sack magnet. Like he just takes a lot of sacks, like way more than you should be taking. So while we're talking about sack totals and everything, the offensive, that could have been getyourmanscape.com, you know. Um, Speaking of sack magnets. <laughs> but the offensive line has been the talk of camp for Washington. Um, they have the perennially underrated Charles Leno at left tackle. One of my questions is moving uh, Sam Cosme from right tackle into guard. They did it a little when, bit last year. Did he make the, when did he make the official decision to go from Samuel to Sam? I don't know. I'm, see, I'm reading on a depth chart. Apparently I, it's been changed. Yeah, when I moved back or when I moved over to the, to, to the U.S. in 2017, I thought about doing the reverse oh. of officially. So my name... My, I'm Samuel, like birth certificate or whatever, yeah. registered, but I've gone by Sam forever, right? But I was thinking when I moved over, here's an opportunity to like officially go back to Samuel, like make all, because all my official crap is always Samuel, right? Banks, driver's license, all that kind of stuff. Naturally. Like maybe now's the time because the problem with Sam is when you have the, the last letter of your first name is the same as the first letter of your second name, it, it's a problem Sam to say. Samuelson. Yeah, you either overly emphasize it to you know make clear they're two separate words, or it runs into itself and it sounds silly. Whereas Samuel Monson is it makes it works right. So I was like maybe my, maybe now's the time, and I eventually didn't. But Cosme's gone the other direction. He's gone Samuel to Sam. Oh, you've hijacked us again. Yeah. Yep. You did it. I'm just saying it's an interesting you know it's a, why now why now. Even more interesting is the fact that I think Cosme is a decent right tackle. Mm-hmm. And they're moving him into guard, and they're bringing in Andrew Wiley, who might be a worse right tackle. <laughs> and I don't know if they're making the right moves there. I mean, I think they've got some pieces there. That offensive line overall has the potential to be a pretty big problem. I think Charles Leno is solid, but solid in a way that like will always upset you. Whatever about the fans, the fans will always be upset by an average starting left tackle because it means he's going to get his ass kicked when he goes up against elite players. But Except last year when he held his own against Micah Parsons, but yeah, carry sure, on. For the most part. Um, but even, like, it, it, A, it looks worse when the rest of the offensive line isn't good. And B, it's, I mean, the NFL teams probably get upset by those plays as well. You know what I mean? Oh, it's sure. not like it's a great thing. Uh, but if that's your, like, one solid left tackle, one probably solid right guard, a average to below average right tackle, and then two potential real problems on the interior – Combined with a quarterback who's a sack magnet. I... That's where it could be rough for Washington here. Sadiq Charles, Nick Gates projected maybe to start at left guard and center. Chris Paul, Tyler Larson in the mix. Chase Roulier retires this offseason. He had been a solid center but dealt with so many injuries the last few years. So I think Cosme, I would, I would rather give him a shot to stay at tackle. Regardless, I think this is going to be a major question mark for Washington. Um and if they can't get the ball to their playmakers, right? Terry McLaurin, an elite receiver. Jahan Dotson looked very good as a rookie last year. Curtis Samuel as your change of pace type of player. And De'Ami Brown as a designated deep threat. 
I like the construction of that group, plus uh, Logan Thomas at tight end. It's mm-hmm. a good group of pass catchers, especially McLaurin, who'd been QB-proof for a couple of years. Just have, just have to give him yeah. the opportunities. And remember last year, Taylor Heineke, grade was terrible, much like Carson Wentz's grade was terrible, but Heineke just won games because the feature of the Taylor Heineke skill set was we're going to YOLO a couple to McLaurin every single week. And they might not be great passes, but he's going to bail me out. Right? He, tried to, he was trying to throw interceptions to McLaurin, who was going to make in the passes. That's where I think Sam Howell needs to steal a little bit from Heineke, who kept winning games last year, however he did, but in part because he definitely knew McLaurin is a true receiver one and needs those opportunities. Yeah, the skill position players, I think, are really good in Washington. Um, that has to help. You would be concerned about whether that offensive line just undermines the entire thing. But then you have the combination of Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy, And, you know, we don't know yet what Eric Bieniemy really is as a coach because it's been so masked by Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, like the, the debate as to where all the credit belongs in Kansas City. But one thing we do know, if he is bringing that type of offense to Washington, is the Chiefs have basically led the NFL forever in terms of RPO usage, right? They run more RPOs than basically anyone in the league over any period of time. Uh, that was the thing that Sam Howell did at UNC, was that was one of the most RPO-heavy offenses in the nation, like two and a half times the rate that the NFL uses. But like the question was, well, how does a guy come out of an RPO-heavy offense like that into an NFL system that barely runs them? Well, now at least he's going to be probably running the most RPO-heavy system in the NFL, in addition to having a ton of great skill position players, et cetera. So that probably helps Sam Howell. It probably helps the offensive line, and it should help just the offensive production overall. Yeah, I mean, the RPOs, they're just early down little cheat codes yeah but those are important little band-aid you need he's going to need some gimmies like that for sure there are also plays that that group of offensive linemen doesn't have to pass protect true no that's true um running back wise brian robinson ran the ball hard after he got shot in the butt last year and then came back (laughs) uh ran hard when he came back they used they can use antonio gibson as a pass catcher uh Chris, chris rodriguez had a nice little career at kentucky i like these i like the group of backs there um defensively to me it's all about the defensive line uh, they did bring in Emmanuel Forbes at corner in the first round, but this D-line, uh, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and then I think Montez Sweat. Maybe Montez Sweat has taken the mantle from Cam Jordan as the one of the more underrated players in the, in the NFL. Sweat has been extremely productive. He's due a payday, as is Chase Young, turned down his fifth-year option, so he's in the final year of his contract. Looked explosive on one rush against Jedrick Wills the other day, as everyone reminded me. Jedrick Wills isn't good, so you can't count it. But Chase Young, if he's healthy, man, look at this defensive line. If he's healthy, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and company, I think that's the best starting group in the NFL. I mean, the potential kick in the ass that not that turning down his fifth-year option has given Chase Young is, is going to be fascinating. Like, we thought that he was maybe the best edge rushing prospect we've seen come into the draft in you know since pff has been great in college so basically a decade like better than nick bosa um haven't really seen that at the nfl level both pre and post injury but now he knows he's got to earn that deal like if he wants that life-changing top of the market 100 million dollar you know all the money he's gonna have to go out there and have that kind of year this season where he goes and says i am that good I am Nick Bosa, I am Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, whatever. And, 
you know, the talent is there. Um, and I think if he's healthy, if he's back from injuries, he is capable of being the best player on that defensive line. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I still have a lot of faith in Chase Young. His best year was his rookie season. He was better in the run game than he was as a pass rusher. We saw flashes of that. Um, there was even elements of that in Ohio State where he was a little bit better against the run early, and then he just his last year was in the Heisman conversation because he was so good as a pass rusher. So I think there's room to grow there for Chase Young, but I also think he's capable. So I love this defensive line. If they're all on the field, and then secondary-wise, Forbes comes in. He was kind of a surprise mid-first-round pick. A lot of people had him late first. Just a good overall football player. He was a ball magnet. Not a sack magnet, magnet, a ball magnet. No, I'm just saying I can write some more Manscaped copy here. Yeah. Ball magnet, Manuel Forbes, powered by Manscaped. Hmm. Ball magnet in college, picking off passes, very good ball skills, super skinny. Kendall Fuller back there who's a good player. Cameron Curl has had some success as a, as a young safety. So it's an intriguing defense. I'm, I'm fascinated by their ability to just really dominate up front. And they've had on and off the last few years since 2020 under Jack Del Rio as defensive coordinator – these spurts of the defensive line really taken over for Washington. Yeah, that I think is the difference between them and the Giants, where you would look at that secondary or the back seven and you would have similar concerns about the Giants. I mean, Forbes, you know, same story as Deontay Banks, right? First round rookie corner, has to start, has to be good right away. That doesn't necessarily work out all the time. But the difference between the two is Washington, but in front of those guys, can deploy Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that should give them a significantly better platform to be working from than the Giants' pass rush, which just isn't of the same level, even with Dexter Lawrence playing out of his mind last season. Um, how did you get through the entire Emmanuel Forbes thing without mentioning the big model guy? I'm trying not to overrate. Talk about the model the whole time. Huh. Now? Model liked him. Yeah, model liked him. Having spent the entire draft process talking about nothing but the model. We're now going to back what away. What else would you use? What huh? else would you use to evaluate players? What else but the model? Yeah. Well, then. Little the, eye test? We can use your eyes? Let's stick to our guns then. Yeah. Model loved Emmanuel Forbes. So big hit for Washington, grabbing him in the, in the mid rounds. There you go. I mean, middle of the first round. Sorry. Right. All right. Six and a half. Is the over-under for Do you have anything else on the Commanders? Any other insight before we move to the AFC East? No, I think we probably covered it. Okay. Six and a half is the over-under for God, Washington. I, we, we've both gone over. I know. For the other th- – I told you, man. I feel like I want to go over this one as well. Right? This is a seven-win team at least, right? Washington are my sneaky like, – they could, like, they could get into the playoffs. Second year in a row. spot. You had them. Yeah, it didn't uh, work well last time. You had them going to the Super Bowl with Fitz last year. No, that was the year before that. that was right? Last year, man. No, because I had the Eagles as my Super Bowl team last year. It was oh, Eagles Bills. Right. Two the years year ago, before. Fitz was on Amazon last year. Right. And he only lasted a game. That doesn't count. <laughs> he got invalidated by the fact that Fitz lasted like thirty-five year, snaps. Years are blending in together here. Look, there's a book about us now. We've been doing this since 1852. Steve and Sam, or Sam and Steve. Introduce the world to PFF. That's the name of the chapter in Matt Collar's book about PFF that's coming out in October. Introduce him to the world. Introduce PFF to the world. Mm-hmm. Chapter five. Chapter five. Check it out. Yeah. Over under. Uh, I'm going over as well. I don't know who's going to go under, but I'm going over. Same. On the commanders. Go buy Collar's book, by the way. There's some interesting stories in there about PFF. Origin story. You Origin. get to see how Steve joined because he was too cheap to buy the product. 
Yeah, it's a good days. story. Some good stories. Finally, we're on to the AFC East and the Buffalo Bills. Last year, the Bills, everyone's darling favorite to finally bring a championship to Buffalo. It did mm-hmm. not go as such. They did finish 13-3 and in the regular season. They only played 16 games, though, because yeah. they had that one game canceled. And our graphics team is perfect and absolutely right by getting that correct. Um, still projected for 10.22 wins. Fascinating spot for the Buffalo Bills. They were the darlings last year. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just amazing the ebbs and flows of narrative. Because in the season last year, they finished in a disappointment for the Bills. They did beat the Chiefs in the regular season. They were on their way. Right. I mean, to remember, the number one seed. They had a path to the number one seed. Right. The reason the DeMar Hamlin abandoned game was such a big deal, independent of the fact that, you know, DeMar Hamlin almost died on the field, was all three of those teams had a chance of the number one seed, depending on the outcome of that game and how that final week of the season was going to go. So it was a huge thing because any of the Cincinnati, Buffalo, or Kansas City could have had home field advantage all the way through the playoffs. Yeah, so last year at this time, it was like, hey, the Bills, they're close. They're adding Von Miller, another year of Josh Allen. Like, this is their year. This is their window. And just because they did lose in the division round pretty pretty handily to the Bengals. The Bengals took it to them in the snow in Buffalo. Disappointing loss. But because that happened, it, it, people are, well, the Bills' window's closed. And I, I don't think it's closed. I think between that and then the fact that we only we talk about the Chiefs as just inevitable. Well, of course they're going to be in the Super Bowl again. Of course they're going to win. When the reality was, in the same season last year, they did lose to the Bills in the regular season. The Chiefs were just a couple plays away from losing to the Bengals, a couple plays away from losing to the Eagles. It's not like this is easy. So the same way maybe the Chiefs are a touch overrated because we talk about them as inevitable, I think it's overrated to say that the Bills' windows closed. They're the same. They're in the same position as they were last year, except maybe this year Von Miller will stay healthy the entire year, and um, you could argue maybe the Bills have made some additions that could make them even better. Yeah, I don't think they're in the same position as they were last season in terms of. So I agree, they're they are still one of the top contenders in the AFC, right? They're still right there with Kansas City, with Cincinnati, with whoever else you want to throw into that bucket. Where I think they differ from a year ago is this time last season they were the consensus best roster on the NFL. Like, that was the one thing everybody was saying heading into the season, right? They, they, Kansas City is still Kansas City. Cincinnati is going to be coming up in the rails. But Buffalo has the best roster top to bottom of any of these teams on paper heading into the season. I don't think that that's necessarily true this season. I think the gap has been closed by a couple of teams. And I think they have a couple of weaknesses that they might not have had before. So... It's not that they've necessarily taken a step back, but I, I think it is slightly different to the way it was a year ago in terms of reality as well as narrative. We did say last year at this time, if there is a weakness, it is the offensive line. We saw that at times last year. Um, I think the other thing that I've been looking for with the Bills is when the game is on the line, we've, we've said every single week, they, they put the ball in Josh Allen's hands. Um, they had a few games last year where they distributed it more, and it wasn't Josh Allen running it on every third and short. Again, I, you know, a little hyperbole, but they put the ball in his hands in must-win games. And I do want to see other players get relied on a little bit more. I mean, he still has to throw them the ball or whatever, but from a run game perspective, from an O-line perspective, can you trust everyone around you so it's not just Josh Allen? 
um, because that showed up in his play last year. He had not just turnover-worthy plays. They weren't just aggressive. He's just chucking it into coverage, trusting his arm. He had some egregious misreads of coverage last year. You're going to take a little bit of pressure off of Josh Allen this year. And so from a run game perspective, are they going to do that with James Cook probably in line to be their number one running back? But Damian Harris, who's been really productive for the Patriots, having those guys take a little bit more of the workload. I like the way they've built this receiving core. Probably a little bit too much pressure on Gabe Davis last year. Stephon Diggs is your true number one. Davis might not be a true two, but Deontay Hardy as a deep threat. And then, of course, Dalton Kincaid. We'll see if he can... Be effective early on as a tight end, big slot type of player. Hopefully there's a little bit more pressure taken off of Gabe Davis. So he could just be your uh, another vertical threat in this offense. Yeah, Josh Allen led the league in turnover-worthy plays last season. And his turnover-worthy play rate was double what it was for Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. It was more than double what it was for Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, like the very best quarterbacks in the NFL. And do you think that's, is that, do you think that's Josh Allen's play style or do you think there's something to him trying to take take everything on himself from an offensive standpoint. I think it's a bit of both. Um, Josh Allen, like Dak Prescott, I think is a player that's always going to skew a little bit high in those turnover-worthy plays. Like he's just going to have more of them than some of these other players. And he will generally offset that by making more big plays than most of these other guys. Like Allen's big-time throw rate was 7.6% last year, which is that's insane. That was also the, the number one in the NFL. And actually the number one by a freaking margin, like way higher than anybody else. So it's not inherently bad. It's just part of his game. He is, you know, another one of those. He's highly, he's like super volatile. Like the baseline is higher than a Jameis Winston, but he's on that spectrum of we are going to see some wild stuff in both directions with Allen. But I definitely think there was a part of, this whole Bills offense being built on what he can do. There's a fine line between that being the most efficient way of executing the offense and asking too much of the guy. And I think they're aware of that, but also, so in terms of the passing, but also in terms of how much you want him running the ball as well. Like they have talked about how if you want to be a quarterback that's playing till you're 40, you know, if you want to have that 15, 20 year career, you can't run the ball the way he runs the ball as much as he runs the ball every year you're gonna have to dial that back a bit but again where is that line how much is too much you know and how much because what makes josh allen genuinely special is if you're looking at fourth and one he's basically unstoppable right he can run over you he can run around you he can pass the ball he can do you know several different ways that he can beat you and effectively there's no way as a, of, as a defense of stopping all of them so you can't take that off the table because that's what separates him from a lot of these other quarterbacks that are good not great so i think buffalo this season has a very difficult task to like find to dial that in in both in, in all those different aspects. Like, where is the most efficient version of Josh Allen without asking too much of him, without si simultaneously taking away what makes him as special as he is? Can you just save that to the playoffs, though? Look, get, don't get me wrong. Jo remember in 2021, Josh Allen was on pace to have one of the best playoff runs of all time. Right. Back-to-back -back games. And they lost the 13-second game. Um, he did. Not, he has not played well in the playoffs. Pretty much outside of that 
run, you know, since the rest of his career. Um, I think for the Bills to win a Super Bowl, he's got to go on one of those runs. It'll still be Josh Allen driven. I'm more just talking. It's it's week eight. You're playing whoever. Does he have to be the guy running a QB sweep on third and four? Does he have to be the guy doing that in the second quarter of a week eight game? Does yeah. he have to be the guy every time it's third and short? The fourth and like the the QB sneak stuff's different. I'm talking QB sweep and keepers. Does he have to do that? Does he have to scramble for a first down instead of just hitting an open receiver underneath? That's what I want to see a little bit more of from the Bills. Dalton Kincaid, I think, can be that guy. You've highlighted his ability to just have a feel for zone and just getting open. And are they going to use him as a big slot? He's got incredible ball skills. It's a lot to ask of a rookie tight end. They don't always hit the ground running right away if you call him a tight end, but I think Kincaid can add a lot to this offense. Um, defensively, we got Sean McDermott taking over the play calling now this year in Buffalo. McDermott has been a consistently good coach since even before Josh Allen got there. It's been a mostly good defense. The question here is going to be health on the defensive line, Von Miller in particular, and then replacing Tremaine Edmonds in the middle of that defense. It's a sub-package type of D. They're going to play two linebackers most of the time. Matt Milano, one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL, he's there. But Tremaine Edmonds had a really good year last year. He's out, and there's a whole bunch of unproven uh, Terrell Bernard, Tyrell Dodson, rookie Dorian Williams, a lot of players vying for that playing time in, uh, to replace Tremaine Edmonds. No, absolutely. They, I think they've done a reasonable job of um, you know, future-proofing, backfilling, like we talked about with the Eagles, but it, it's always a case of what, what that's going to look like. What I'm most interested about for this team, different to a year ago, is... I think it's generally under-talked about how banged up that secondary was all season long. Like, I've harped on it a bit in, on this show and elsewhere, but they were banged up week one, and they were basically still banged up at the end of the season. Like, that secondary for Buffalo a year ago was never really healthy, and theoretically now it should be, right? And now you've got last year's first-round pick, Kyrie Elam, you know, another year down the line. Christian Benford last year's, what, sixth-round pick? Got a ton of playing time, actually jumped Elam on the depth chart, and now he's a year into the system. Tredavious White, who we know has elite-level potential or play in his, on his resume, is another year removed from injury that, that sort of has diminished how good he's been within this defense. So I think the secondary should be a lot better than it was a year ago. And that alone, like, that could be worth, you know, what, what an upgrade is for another team that's gone out and, you know, bought in a free agent or a first-round draft pick. Simply the improvement of not having that entire secondary beat to hell every week should help them. Yeah, the safety injuries that they had, of course, even before the, the DeMar Hamlin incident, the safety injuries were ridiculous last year. Um, Taylor Rapp adding depth, and you mentioned cornerback two is like the annual question in Buffalo. Who's the guy opposite Tredavious White? I do love their depth, though. And uh, DeMar Hamlin is back and playing real football, and that is awesome to see. Um, so, yeah, I think overall, Bills look pretty good on the back end. Let's talk that defensive line just a little bit here. Von Miller was having another really good season. Von Miller's career, he has just been so good in the playoffs. He was coming off of a, another great playoff run with the Rams. Um, after it had looked like he had maybe regressed a little bit in his later years in Denver, he was rejuvenated in 2021 with the Rams on that playoff run. Got to keep him healthy. Um, Gregory Rousseau has been fantastic. I think in, in two years, big, long Defensive end, maybe ready to take another step there. Leonard Floyd comes in to add good, solid depth. Um, I like the depth they've built on this defensive line, too. Plus, they locked up Ed Oliver, who 
overall has underachieved a little bit, but has progressively gotten better, rushing the passer pretty well, not great against the run. They got a solid defensive line. After week one last year, they crushed the Rams. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And it looked like the same thing we said about the Eagles and some of these other defensive lines. They're rolling eight deep. And they were for a point, but they, they got banged up. But I think they're back as far as the on-paper depth chart goes as far as the defensive line. Yeah, Leonard Floyd, the the capacity to be a really sneaky, good addition to this team. Um, by the way, also— And Puna uh, Ford. Like, all of those—they they had a lot of those just sure. buy-low type of solid additions. A lot of reports in the last few days. I know how you love training camp reports. Who's been lighting it up for Bill's offense at training camp? Deontay Hardy? No. Andy Isabella. Oh, really? Maybe Josh Allen is the guy to unlock the majesty— of Andy Isabella. So even if I was GM here, where I would struggle is Deontay Hardy's one of my guys. I would want him forever. Mm -hmm. Andy Isabella, want him forever. I'd still bring in John Ross out of retirement. <laughs> how would I yeah. How would I sift through all those guys? Like only one can be the guy. Mm -hmm. You can't have all of them on the roster. You can have them all in training camp. Yeah. But you can't break camp with you, all of right, those then guys. Then you get to cut day. And you got to lose five of them. Is Andy Isabella going to steal some of those deep targets from Deontay Hardy? Mm-hmm. I would bring Scotty Miller in, too. Anybody who's been Fast. that designated deep threat right. at any point in their career and caught a 60-yard touchdown once. Anybody that can run a 4-3 flat and or have yeah. really good tracking data that says you can run a 4-3 flat on, in, in, on the field. They're all going to be on my in. roster. Isabella Steele and Deontay Hardy targets here. Anything else to add on the Bills? No, what's our win total here? This might be an under. Ten and a half. Oh, ten and a half. God. Lines are being set. Strong, That's strong the, line setting here. Yeah. I mean, it's God, it's gotta be over, right? I mean if the Bills only win ten games, that would be that would be bad. Seventeen game schedule. Right. Just throwing that out so there. Ten games. That's it's gotta be over. Over. Over for everybody. Nobody's gonna check my work on this, right? No, God no. Just going over. Yeah. Going over on everything. All right, who's next? Miami no. Dolphins. Certainly not with your unimpeachable picking track record <laughs> that was last year i'm gonna have new every, season new steve every other year i was good picking games mm -hmm. i've i've always been good until i was no longer good miami dolphins i gotta say i'm high on them as well <laughs> i like the Dolphins. i like everybody nine and eight last year 8.68 projected wins uh tua 8.68 hmm. yeah, is that low feels it right i mean just relative to you know hype right dolphins are supposed to be good yeah but they're in this tough division their over under is gonna be nine and a half just so you can prepare for that mentally got it um, but they won the nine games last year they had the quarterback issues mike mcdaniel's first year as offensive coordinator tyreek hill gets traded for in the offseason and the offense was better now they didn't it didn't always translate to points there was definitely a lot of games where it was uh, an effective offense. The EPA and the production was good and everything, but it didn't always translate to points, but the offense was, was good. And they definitely ran into offensive line issues, which could still exist because of the uh, injury proneness of Teron Armstead in particular. But you got to feel good about the offense. Tua, all the concussion issues, and just general injury issues dating back to Alabama, that's going to be a huge question mark going into this year. The, one of the biggest splash moves this offseason was trading for Jalen Ramsey. He's already out at least until December, maybe for the whole season, right? Um, and Vic Fangio coming in. So a lot of big moving parts in Miami over these last couple of years 
We saw some of it pay off early last year, particularly with the Tyreek Hill move, watching him and Jalen Waddle on the field at the same time. What are you looking for this year with the Miami Dolphins? Um, I mean, I'm fascinated to see what that defense looks like. The Vic Fangio coming in uh, both to see what it, it'll help. You know, the, that play caller series that Jordan Rodrigue came on and talked to us about that's available on the Athletics podcast feed. You heard a lot about how all of those offensive sort of minds value bringing in the defense that causes them the most problems to practice against basically every week, right? Bringing in Vic Fangio so that the Miami offense can learn how to adjust to what teams are doing to cause them some problems. So Vic Fangio's impact both on the defense, but also on the offense to give it something to practice against and, and improve against, I think is significant. Real blow that we're not going to get to see Jalen Ramsey for you know an indeterminate length of time, but I would imagine pretty significant because uh, him within that defense, I think would have been really fun this year and potentially you know a career year for one of the best corners in the NFL. But I think we could see huge seasons for guys like Jalen Phillips, maybe Christian Wilkins as well. So generally, I think the defense is going to be fun to watch. And then like the other big story is the offense, not just what does Tua look like year two, but teams were starting to figure that offense out late in the season. And they had made adjustments that seemed to be causing problems, but it was a very muddy picture because of Tua and the fact that he got hurt and then he was out of the lineup entirely. And you're sort of left with, I, was it working? Like, had they... Had they countered the counter or did they just run out of quarterback at that point? Like, so seeing what that looks like year two, and also again, whether the Vic Fangio addition like helps Mike McDaniel solve that. Like here's the defense that was starting to cause you problems last season late, you know, once they'd figured the thing out late in the year. Now you get to see it every week. Have you figured out how to sharpen it up again? I, I answered a, to a question yesterday on the podcast in my GM segment uh, about, you know, does he get paid at the end of the year? Well, if he has a good season and, you know, don't want to pay him Herbert, Burrow, Allen, Mahomes money, but, you know, maybe he gets paid. My question with Tua is the level of inconsistency. So using a – this doesn't always project forward, but I, I want to describe what's happened over the last couple of years. Last year at this time, we were saying Tua had three really good games, three games 80-plus grades, but he had several in the 50s and in the 40s, 40s and 50 PFF grades. Right, so that's a huge difference, right? Remember that you mentioned the one season a couple shows ago, Deshaun Watson in 2020, didn't have a grade below 63 or 64, 65, whatever it was. Incredible consistency that year. Tua got to a good grade last year, an 81.9 grade, with five grades above 80 and five grades below 60, right? So below 60 is below average. He had a couple games in the 40s and he did not play well down the stretch before his final injury, which was Christmas against the Packers. Just a level of consistency. The highs were high for Tua in this offense, but I think Tua's performance, you know, fluctuated quite a bit. Even when, even in the snow game against Buffalo where the production was pretty good, he got away with a potential pick six. He got away with some stuff. Bad fumble. Um, can he be more consistent and just healthy, of course? Yeah. Uh, but I thought the fit for the offense, the quick release, hitting the downfield throws, anticipating throws, and just the binds that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle put defenses in, I mean, that is exciting and fun to watch, and they've built a speedy backfield to go with it. If, if all those pieces stay healthy, I think the Dolphins are in there challenging for, for the AFC East. 
I really do. Yeah. The speed on this team is ridiculous. Like the whatever about how much teams have figured them out schematically and they're they're devising ways to cause what they were doing problems. There's only so much you can do to address the combination of speed that is in Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert, you know, Devin Achain. Like there's so much speed on this team that that I mean that just wins at times. There are times where even if you're schematic like the whiteboard, you had it drawn, drawn up perfectly, but the, like, he's just faster than you are. You can't run with Tyreek Hill. I mean, that's a real thing. So there's going to be a degree to which this offense wins even when it shouldn't win. Like, again, that play callers thing, I think it might have been Mike McDaniel actually talking about, you know, sometimes you have the wrong call and the players make it right. You know, Tyreek Hill is the kind of guy that can make the wrong call right quite often. Same with, you know, those other guys that are, are incredibly fast. So that's going to be a big thing. The addition of Mike White is, I think, a quite important move to this team. Backup quarterback to Tua. But Mike White, two different seasons, you know, came in and flashed enough that, like, Jets fans were like, ooh, could he be the guy? Could, could Mike White actually be the starting quarterback going forward? And it never happened. But that's kind of all you can ask for for a backup, right, is come in and ask a question. Maybe the answer to that yeah. question is, hell no, take your seat back on the bench. But – just come in and play well enough that you have enough people coming out of that going, could he actually be the guy going forward? That screams high-level backup. Like, the Dolphins were able to run the Bills close with Skylar Thompson at quarterback, for God's sake. If Mike White is the passer, yeah. I think it's, it's a different proposition. I have to say, here's what I'm, where I'm torn on the Tua stuff. You know how so many people loved him even coming out of 2021 when there's not a whole lot of statistical evidence that says he's great other than maybe wins and losses were good like teddy bridgewater didn't have nearly as much success and teddy's good he's a good backup quarterback he did not have nearly as much success as tua did last year when he came in i know skylar thompson took the bills to the wire in the playoffs kind of um but it was a different offense without tua grades aside it was a different offense without him um but yeah mike white is an insurance policy is interesting and, and again, just to remember from last season, they brought in Teron Armstead to play left tackle, went healthy, one of the best left tackles in the NFL, literally hasn't been healthy in the last five years, hasn't completed a full year. And when they put in, um, what's his face, that just, uh, well, Greg Little came in at times and Brandon Shell, right? Uh -huh. Both came in at times and had no chance. Shell just retired, I believe. They had zero chance last year when Armstead went down. Right. The backup situation's not much better this year. Cedric Ogboyhe and Kendall Lamb and other guys who've never played in the NFL. Though you would assume, I mean, I, my assumption would be that if Armstead goes down for his customary four games or whatever this year, that Isaiah Wynn would be the left tackle. Now, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe oh, I they, forgot. Yeah, Isaiah Wynn's there. Maybe the I, I liked the Isaiah. I, I'm looking at him as a backup guard here. That's the thing. Maybe I forgot see. about the addition of Wynn, which was a good quietly good move to have that insurance play maybe either they, way maybe they only see win as a guard in which case it doesn't help but, yes but if, i would have win as the right swing my tackle. assumption would be that if armstead goes down tomorrow and is missing four games isaiah win is your left tackle for those four games but there's still questions at left guard liam eikenberg still questions at right tackle austin jackson has not played football well at all at any point in his career yeah so offensive line question marks remain mm -hmm. um, defensively you already hinted at uh, Jalen Phillips, just like uh, Gregory Rousseau, maybe another big step forward for Phillips, who's been very good the last couple of years. Christian Wilkins, that other defensive tackle who's waiting to get paid from the 2019 class, underrated, very good. Um, 
it's a sneaky good front seven to go with. Man, I really wish we had Jalen Ramsey to go with Xavier Howard in the secondary, but a Vic Fangio secondary where he's just had years of success working that quarters-heavy scheme and putting people in position to succeed. Hmm. Um, another name question for you. Robbie Anderson has gone from Robbie Anderson to, to Chosen Anderson to Robbie Chosen. That's what's happened here? Is that what it is now? It seems to be. He hasn't caught many passes since being the original Robbie Anderson. Maybe you shouldn't change his issue. name. He's got more name changes than catches. <laughs> Pretty close. 20 catches last year, and I think three name changes in the last year. Compared yeah. to touchdowns. So, He's got more name changes than touchdowns since 2021. Yeah, he has. I mean, Pro Football Reference appears to still list him as Chosen Anderson, but Wikipedia has him as Rock, Robbie Chosen. The, the Wikipedia is up to date. PA we have Pro him Football. as Robbie Chosen. That's what I'm saying. Pro yeah, Football Reference is lagging behind. They haven't caught up with the latest name change. But, uh, yeah, maybe he should have stayed with Robbie Anderson. I also think, by the way... Dynamite insight here. Actually, I, I'm correct. Wikipedia bears this out. He went from Robbie with a Y, Anderson, right, to, to Robbie, Robbie with an IE, Anderson, right. to then Chosen, Anderson, to then Robbie, Chosen. That's what I'm saying. Four yeah. name changes. Yeah. Because he went from Robert to Robbie. Four name changes, one touchdown in the last year. <laughs> right? Because he became Robbie, IE, Anderson, I think, a year ago. 2022. Yeah. And then 2023, he went to Chosen it's Anderson. Good it's, a good, it's a good tweet here. Name changes four, touchdowns one. Hit it. Hit it. Another no, fast not. guy, by the way. And what? Another fast guy. Yeah, and at his, at his best, he's a, a good, speedy receiver. So Dolphins have speed, a good play caller. Tua, who's a very good distributor of the football, playing that point guard role, right? Jimmy Garoppolo plus. That's what Tua's going to be. Um and again, I, I like the, the defensive line depth that they have here. Uh, the hashtag, if everybody stays healthy, I think the Dolphins are up there competing with everyone in the AFC East. With I just wish Jalen Ramsey was still there. Man. That is a bummer. They bring in Eli Apple. Um, and then Cam Smith, who they get in the draft. They didn't have a pick until the second round. Mm -hmm. Cam Smith was their first pick on a team that already had Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard. And a couple other corners. It looked like it's not a need, but this is why you don't draft needs. And Cam Smith was a late first round caliber talent that they get in the second. And I thought that was a, a smart play. Yeah, I haven't seen a ton of, uh, I mean, coverage uh, at all about Cam Smith in training camp, but I'd be interested to see how he does and whether he can win that starting job, particularly outside, because I think that's where he belongs. All right, nine and a half over under for the Dolphins. My first under in today, I think, right? All in the middle. Your first under today. You've got five overs. So far, we have two more, two teams remaining. Under, oh, let wanna, down team. I want to go over on this too. Can I go over for everybody? Why not? Because I'm probably going to go over for the Jets no and the Patriots too. Why not? Over. Yeah, nobody's checking. Over on the Dolphins too. No one's I, checking. Because there's a lot of fans who only want to hear about their team. And they're not going <laughs> to They're not going to be like, Steve, you went over on the uh, Commanders. You're just, you're a Dolphins fan. You want to hear my positive take on your team mm. that's going to make a run plus anyone that paid attention last year is expecting you to be wrong anyway or well, maybe fans are going to be upset if i take the over that maybe for for all of their teams maybe you should try and reverse jinx them all who's next new england then new york yeah new england patriots look at that they're already eight and nine record last year projected right there for 8.17 wins this year the biggest story last year was mac jones having uh what's his face my, matt patricia as his offensive coordinator Hmm. Former rocket scientist slash defensive coordinator running the call in the plays last year. But now Bill O'Brien 
is back. And uh, we've got a stitched together group of playmakers. Zeke, fresh in there in New England. But it's Mac Jones year three. What's Mac Jones year three going to look like here in New England? Zeke in there and Zeke wearing number 15. Oh, yeah. Ohio State Zeke. Ohio State Zeke. Now, maybe that changes things. It's better than I I have not officially addressed, and this is not the forum to do it. I have not officially addressed Teddy Bridgewater wearing number 50 Mm -hmm. as a quarterback, and uh, we're not going to do it here. Okay. Uh, We'll have to do it somewhere else, but the, the numbers, the number stuff has to stop. Fifteen's <laughs> fine. I mean, you're, it's a throwback to college. You're, that's fine. That's well, fine. that's the thing. It should be, I think there's room for it to be allowed if you're harking back to an iconic number that you wore in college. Now, that becomes more problematic when, you know, the number is silly. Just as a concept, like your college number was dumb. You're going back to that is just, it's still dumb. All you're doing is repeating the dumb. But Zeke, 15 Ohio State Zeke looked awesome. So 15 Zeke NFL, I'm all for it. There's no circumstance under which 50 for Teddy Bridgewater works. I'm not, I'm not going to address it right now. Okay. So what do we expect from the Patriots this year? I mean, better than last year, surely. Is the play calling enough? Are they another team where – because, I, look, I, the defense was very good last year, and I think they could be even better this year. The defense should keep them in a lot of games. Mac Jones in two years in his career looked good as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Granted, he looked better in the first 10 or so games than he did down the stretch. There's definitely one of those if you want to just say Mac Jones over his last year plus, say six games, the data is not great. The grades isn't the grades are not great. But the bigger story last year was this was this offense was atrocious from start to finish. Running a new scheme, everything was different. Everything was bad. Um, so how much do you hold that against Mac Jones? Theoretically, he should be in a better position right now. I think the playmakers are good. There's more of a, you know, spread the ball around type of feel for this team rather than an alpha receiver. Certainly, they didn't do that this offseason, go alpha receiver like a lot of uh, people expected. Um, So I think there's some positives here. But in a challenging AFC, how do you get over the 10-win hump and get into the playoffs and try to make a run? It's going to be challenging. No, it is. I mean, the Patriots, I think, have made significant changes, significant improvements, upgrades. The problem is, like, everybody seems to be getting better in the AFC. And even in that landscape, you're like, is, did you get better as much as everybody else? Like, did you somehow get worse relative to the competition, even though you actually made major improvements? I do think that, theoretically, there's not much of a bigger move that could have been made than dumping the disaster of an offensive scheme last season and bringing in a proven commodity in a guy like Bill O'Brien, who has proven success in the NFL, in college, and actually has previous, you know, they crossed over, right? Bill O'Brien and and Mac Jones at Alabama. Like, they know each other. It's not like it. So there's multiple ways in which that should help. So I, I think it would be difficult to overstate how big an improvement that could be But then you're back to the situation we were like a year ago where you say, right, Mac Jones is pretty good as a rookie, but how much better can that can you get? Because as impressive as that was, we still need more, you know, like it was nice, but we need more than that if you're going to contend with the rest of these guys. So they basically just reset the clock on that question again. And now they're, they're kind of in the same spot that they typically are, which is good offensive line, skill position players that are questionable, but should 
as an aggregate as an aggregate look okay and then the backfield of Ramondre Stevenson and Zeke Elliott which should be fine well it's going to address the offensive line thing because coming out of camp and even when you look at it on paper tackle huge question mark they have Trent Brown coming back who's played solid football Mm -hmm. in and out of the lineup but they go with Riley Reef, who's you know, there was a point where I would sign, you know, Riley Reef as my starting tackle in your creep back toward average world. He's probably beyond those days. And I think Connor McDermott, Calvin Anderson, those are the other guys they brought in. Tackle could be a huge issue. As of a few days ago, Riley Reef was taking snaps inside a guard. Right, because it wasn't work it's it's not working for him. Right. And, and City, he's not a guard. <laughs> yeah. And so. City City So was working a right tackle. So right tackle certainly looks like a fairly major question mark. Um so this offensive line could be a question mark, and I feel like we've said this for a lot of teams now just in this one show. The playmaker situation, again, if you, if you teams people wanted them to get DeAndre Hopkins. They were in the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes. And if you just stitch him on at the top of the receiving core here, and then you say, well, Devontae Parker's your 2A, and Juju's your 2B, and Kendrick Bourne's in there, and Tyquan Thornton can be a deep threat, and they've got some really intriguing rookies, it looks great. You take away the alpha receiver, and it's like, okay, there's, there's a lot of footballs to go around. <laughs> Let's see. Um, so it's not bad, but um, there's no one guy that defenses really have to account for. Mike Kosicki comes in, and uh, Hunter Henry, a tight end. It's, it's a solid, deep group, but it's missing the one who I think from a tactical standpoint, week to week, will influence defenses. Yeah, and Kosicki's now dealing with a, an injury that's going to keep him out for a while, shoulder injury for him. I, I thought I thought he was going to be back by week one. Yeah. But who the heck, I mean, I it's just... It's one of those ones quickly. where the tweet description, <laughs> the, the masterclass of vagueness, the tweet description, anyone, the medical people were all like, well, hang on, that could mean one of two different things, one of which is not severe at all and is fine, the other of which is, is, is a problem. So depending on what it actually is, Kaseki could be out for a while. But anyway. The tweet's right then. You're right that it's a it's a collection of guys that in in the in totality should be fine, but they don't have that one guy that you can rely on to be scary and terrify defenses, which to be honest might not be a bad thing for Mac Jones. Like take advantage of his theoretical superpower, which is decision making, accuracy, and make him spread the ball around, and that's the best way of getting the most out of him anyway. Maybe. When you have fewer guys that can dominate one-on-one, though, it puts more pressure on the play caller. Maybe Bill O'Brien's up to it. Um, by the way, if you want some model propaganda, mm. Demario Douglas, who's tearing it up at camp, was a model guy, the rookie out of Liberty. There you go. Absolutely would have taken him at a spot ahead of where the NFL did because he's good. And the model said so. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, I don't – here's the thing. I don't, two years ago, the Patriots won a lot of games, man. They were in the – people forget. They were in the running for the number one seed somewhat late into the season before fading in 2021. And they would have those games where they absolutely dominated on the ground. Old school type of Patriots games that would pop up every now and then. We didn't see any of that last year. Can they do that again? I don't know. I think the offense will be solid, though. Yeah. I think they'll be solid. I don't think they're going to carry the team. They'll be good enough. But it's a team that relies on the defense. It's going to have to rely on the defense. And they were a D that was good last year. And they've added some pieces. That's where they spent their first three draft picks. Yeah. I think their offensive line will be fine as well. Like, they might have a problem spot at right tackle. But overall, I think they're going to have four-fifths of a pretty good offensive line. Cole Strange was a weird draft pick last year. I mean, obviously, the, the, like the meme, effectively, of the Rams laughing when they drafted him. 
however misconstrued or otherwise that was. He had a weird rookie season where, A, he was thrown to the thrown into the fire to a huge degree. I mean, they left him one-on-one with Cameron Hayward basically the whole game, um, amongst others, you know, over the course of the year. And he had a ton of games where he had like a really good pass blocking grade. And then he had a few that were pretty rough. Um, but the fact that they were willing to throw him out there, essentially on an island against elite interior defensive linemen, and he had games where he executed that and shut them down, I'm pretty optimistic that year two for him will actually look quite good. So Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Michael Owenu, that should be four-fifths of a pretty good offensive line. And then whatever they're able to get out of right tackle, I would imagine is fine. And then on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Patriots had a fierce pass rush last year. Matthew Judon, you get uh, Josh Uche, Dietrich Wise, and then Keon White. Good debut, and we thought he could be a, a solid second rounder, especially in New England. Um, so it looks like the pass rush will be pretty good. Christian Barmore at defensive tackle had those spurts where he was a very good pass rusher and has a year three breakout possibility here. I like their front seven. And what they've done there, and secondary-wise, they had Christian Gonzalez to go with all the guys named Jones. All the guys named Jones. Jonathan, Marcus, and Jack Yep, are all over there. The Joneses. The Joneses at corner. The biggest loss is Devin McCourty, and not because of the you know physical play. He you know declined a little bit over the last couple of years, but still a solid player. But just he was the captain. He was the, the leader of the secondary, getting everybody lined up, all that fun stuff. He's out now. Mm-hmm. But they've got depth there as well. So... Again, it's like, I don't think Belichick, from a team-building standpoint, has changed anything over the last 22, 23 years. The only difference has been, is Tom Brady the quarterback? Because if you just plopped, you know, elite Tom Brady onto this team, you're like, yeah, they're a Super Bowl contender. Of course Brady's going to get the most out of this receiving core, and of course this defense is going to be good enough and everything. That's they, they build depth. They have this really good, deep team. It might not have a lot of stars. They Stars come and go sometimes. You get a Gronk. You get a Moss. You get a Stephon Gilmore. But they come and go, and you, you build it with depth mostly. But what's Mac Jones in this? Like, that's what it's going to come down to. Is Mac Jones just an eight- or nine-win quarterback? Or is he going to be the, you know, not to just compare him to Tom Brady, but, like, this is the same Patriots team that they've had for the last 20 years, isn't it? Same type yeah, of I mean, it's yeah, it's the same kind of broad makeup. I mean, that defensive line looks like it could be really good. They've got a real collection of players. They can run really deep. They can cause problems across the board there, particularly if a guy like Keon White, you know, actually does well as a rookie. And, I mean, he's fascinating to me. Him and Christian Gonzalez because they were two wildly physically talented players who I think were quite a long way away from an on-field point of view, simply good play, consistent play. And they went to a to arguably the greatest defensive coach of all time. Like if he's able to make an immediate impact on those guys, those could be huge draft picks. Um, and then that you know that secondary was already pretty good. The linebacking group you don't love on paper, but you never really do with New England teams. Uh, they they find a way of making it work. They they are good at not asking those guys to do the things that they are not great at. So yeah, I think the defense will be really good. And then it's just really down to how good that offense can be and how hard is like being in the AFC East and the AFC this year? I mean, it's everybody's good. So even if you're pretty good, how good are you versus the other teams? The one caveat I'll add about the defense, uh, overall they were good last year, but they beat up. So they beat up on the Lions 
early in the year, which looks more impressive now, knowing what the Lions became right. offensively. They beat up on the Browns. I think, um, yeah, when Brissett was the quarterback there. They beat up on the Jets twice in three weeks when Zach Wilson was the quarterback there. The Colts, when Sam Ellinger was QB there and, you know, just holding the ball forever. But they they beat up on the Cardinals late in the season. I don't think uh, – yeah, Kyler was there, I think. But um, they kind of beat up on some bad teams. This defense has not done a good job against the Bills in years. Josh Allen's Bills for a while. Um, haven't beaten the Dolphins in a few years. Uh, they got torched by the Vikings on Thanksgiving. So the defense was kind of hit or miss. They you know, gave up 37 to the Ravens. The defense was a little hit or miss last year, even though the totality of it was pretty good. They got beat up by the good teams, and I think they're going to play even more good teams now because you, you don't get Zach Wilson's Jets. You get Aaron Rodgers twice with the Jets. So that's, I think the issue with relying on defense is that. When you don't beat up on rookie quarterbacks and Sam Ellingers and everything, it, it's a little bit more difficult, and that's where the AFC East is going to be so challenging, I think, for New England and why we talk about offenses more than defenses because you, they control the action just a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think because of the addition of Bill O'Brien, they should be better in in overall terms on offense. But generally speaking, the Patriots are in a fairly narrow band of they're a good team every single year. The, the problem is now that competition is way better than it used to be, and, and that narrow band might not be good enough anymore. Now, you're going to want to go over here, I think. Really? Six and a half. Six and a half. That is bad. Why did they win, like? When was the last time the Patriots won six games? I was just thinking, well, 2000. 2000. 2000, they, had, they were 5-11. and 11. Yeah. Brady's rookie season. That's going back quite a way. Yeah. yeah. It was what they went, 8 with Cam in 2020, 10 with Mac, and then 8 last year or something like right. that. Right, and they won with, how many did they win with Castle? 11. Yeah. Easiest schedule in history in 2008. Right. Pretty much. And yeah. coming down from the, you know, the undefeated regular season. But, I mean, yes. I can't, I can't envisage a world where the Patriots win six games or fewer. Yeah, I'm definitely taking the over on six and a half here because they're taking the over for everybody. Everybody. And Patriots fans are tuning in they just won, to hear this. And they I'm won say eight over. games last year, and we think they'll be better this year. And even if you say yeah. they'll be worse relative to the competition, they still need to lose two more games for that to be a thing. Yes. Remember in 21, they, let, they won that one game where Mac threw the ball three times? Hmm. That was fun, too. Like, you just never know when one of those is going to pop up. Weather. They're going to win a weather game this win, year. Win a weather. They're going to win a weather game where Zeke runs the ball 29 times for 48 yards. And they're going to win it. Grind it out. All right. One more team. It's the New York Jets. Not a lot happening in New York these, oh, these no. days. Routine offseason. So Aaron Rodgers is in. Zach Wilson's the backup. They're best of buddies. They're on hard knocks, joking around, having fun. 7-10 Jets last year. Um, let's not forget, though, they lost a lot down the stretch. They were much better early in the year. Kind of fell off down the stretch. 8.71 projected wins this year. That feels low with Aaron Rodgers coming to town. Jets fans are optimistic that last year's very good defense and bad offense will keep the very good defense and will add Aaron Rodgers to the mix and the offense will be fine. Um, doesn't always work that way, but the Jets are building... Uh, an explosive defensive line. You've got Sauce Gardner with one of the better rookie seasons we've seen from a corner ever. Yeah. And you have Aaron Rodgers and friends all coming to town to take the Jets to the promised land. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the most recent discussion has been around the offensive line. Yep. Uh, the very most recent discussion, we got Robert Sala bringing it up on Hard Knocks. We've got um, a tweet that came out just today in real time. If you want to, uh, if I can pull it up here. And by today, you mean yesterday. Yesterday. Sorry, from yesterday, the joint practice between the Jets and uh, who are they playing? The Bucks. A seven-pass sequence went sack, sack, three quick completions, mm -hmm. and two more sacks. That's not great. That drive is brought to you by Manscaped. Sack that? magnet. There you go. Um, and as I said, we know sacks, they're not always an offensive line stat, but this is what everybody's going to be talking about, the offensive line here. But every one of those sacks was skate from pubes to bum. Look at you. Good job. Oh, that's what I need to do. It's smooth sack summer. Powered by, um, that's, that's what, what we're, that, that, we're going to quote. You mean the here. read rather than, you know. Let me quote tweet that tweet with it's smooth sack summer and then I'll tag Manscaped. Yeah, do that. <laughs> Knock yourself out. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not I mean, we that. talked on yesterday's show about how the offensive line, no, do it. It could be problematic for the Jets. Um, it's the one glaring weakness on that team. Like, it wasn't a great group last year. They're relying on players this year to improve it that you don't necessarily think are likely to do that. I mean, Mikai Becton coming back and being good is actually quite an important part of this offensive line being better because Dwayne Brown had the worst season we've seen from him in the NFL. And at his age, it seems unlikely he's going to go in any direction other than the one he was headed in. So if left tackle is going to be better, it's going to need to be because Mikai Becton is healthy and better than Dwayne Brown was a year ago. Right tackle... Billy Turner, Max Mitchell, like, it, should Elisha Vera Tucker kick out and play right tackle? I mean, that's a question mark spot. And then the interior, you know, Lakin Tomlinson wasn't great outside of that San Francisco offense. Wasn't great before that San Francisco offense either. Maybe he's just not great. Um, I mean, generally speaking, you're looking at that group and saying, that's a bottom 10 offensive line again. Yeah, this could be tough, the, the O-line. I don't know if it'll matter. I mean, overall, Rodgers... He, he gets rid of the ball. He's, he's like, he does both. He gets rid of the ball quickly and yeah. he holds it all at the same time. There are, and so both of those things can be true. He's one of those guys that has a high percentage of plays that gets rid of the ball in two seconds, two and a half seconds or less. And then other times he goes through these spurts where he just wants to make a play and he holds the ball a little bit too long. Um, so the question here is not, I, I think early downs will be fine. I think the question is going to be, if you get into third and long, will the O-line ho hold up? And... By all accounts, and we talked about this with the Joe Burrow and should you should you draft Jamar Chase or an offensive lineman? And we always made the point, well, if the if the receivers get open quickly, that protects the offensive line. That's one way of protecting the quarterback, really. And by all accounts, not only is Garrett Wilson awesome, but the chemistry between Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson is already there. Mm -hmm. And I think Garrett Wilson is primed for just a ridiculous season. What did Devontae put up a couple of years ago? 120 catches, whatever it is. Wilson could do that type of stuff. He can win at all levels and be open quickly. And maybe that masks the offensive line issues. But I'm expecting Rodgers, who overall last year can still make special throws. I don't think he's lost arm talent or anything like that. He had to deal with young receivers. And he also missed more three, a few more uncharacteristic mistakes for Rodgers. I don't think there's cliff coming or anything like that. There's no massive drop-off. I don't think he'll be at the MVP level. He'll be somewhere in between. I, I think there's enough there for the Jets is my point, though. Rodgers is good enough. He'll protect the line enough 
with Garrett Wilson and then his friends, right? It's uh, Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard, guys that he trusts, solid couple tight ends and CJ Azama and Tyler Conklin. It's not a dream team or anything like that, but putting Aaron Rodgers on this roster, bringing a couple of his buddies should make them much better offensively. Yeah, I think Rodgers, the way Rodgers works in conjunction with his offensive line has always been um, a really fascinating dynamic because it's different to most quarterbacks. Like it's most quarterbacks are fairly simple and they either hurt their offensive line or they help them. And then you have certain players who are so special and the way they play the game is so unique that it's more complicated than that. Mahomes is one of those guys where, you know, Orlando Brown was talking about that. Like it's better now because you know where Joe Burrow is going to be. Whereas Mahomes has a tendency to not be where he's supposed to be. On the other hand, he's Patrick Mahomes and he never takes sacks, right? So there's a push-pull there in terms of how much is that helping or hurting the offensive lineman. Rodgers, I think, has some similar stuff. He holds onto the ball a lot longer than he quote-unquote should a lot of the time, which is a bad thing for offensive line. On the other hand, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody better at making quick, sudden movements in the pocket to like literally reset the leverage of linemen. So... You know, offensive tackles out there in his pass set, and all of a sudden he loses, he's losing the edge, the, the edge rusher is getting around him, Rodgers will take a little skip upwards and then back again. And the skip upwards makes that edge rusher have to jump back inside in case Rodgers breaks the pocket through the beat gap and exploits the space that he just left. So, and I don't even know if he does it consciously or if he's just that freaking much of a savant, but his ability to bounce around and reset the leverage of offensive linemen is incredible and incredibly valuable to offensive linemen. I wonder, there's no real evidence of this yet, but in this world of Rodgers is not physically declining, how much of that skill is reliant on, he was never, like he's never been Lamar Jackson, you know, Justin Fields. He's never been like one of the most destructive rushing quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's always been dangerous enough that you need to respect him leaving the pocket so when he makes those little moves skip forward skip back you have to respect that skip because if he decides to go and you don't respect it he's going to make a big play D is he reaching the point now at his age where defensive linemen can start can respect that a little bit less and just go you know what i'm not going to react to that jump because yeah, i my don't trust you anymore making 15 yards my feeling is yes i mean if when, when we talked about quarterbacks declining through the years you saw a very specific physical decline in say Peyton Manning and Drew Brees where the ball just didn't come out of their hand the right way but I think when you saw say Brees and Brady at times late I think it was it was the quick decision making under pressure that would just not be as good a little bit as they got older into their 40s and so that's where I think you might see some of the, the decline. Like if Rodgers steps into the throw and zips it, it's going to be like, wow, still has the arm. And Brady still had that too. Like the arm strength or velocity was still there even at 45. But, with, but there was a couple times with Brady where it's like, ah, do I really, do, can I really make this quick decision under pressure or whatever it might be? And it wasn't always there. That could be something with Rodgers where it's got to be that quick move or whatever it might be. And he basically you need to make more plays within structure instead of out, out of structure as you get older. I think that's absolutely a thing and something to keep an eye on and why the offensive line is a concern. Not because of sack totals necessarily, but because you don't want Rodgers under pressure. You want him to be able to let Garrett Wilson get open down the field and 
the great Corey Davis and all those guys he's got to to throw to mm-hmm. on the offense. Great. Um, I didn't time this one. Oh, no. I think the we're halfway through. Fall and you just now. went on your um, – defensively, though, we talk a lot about defensive regression and you can't bank on it year to year. Um, even if the Jets are going to get a little bit worse defensively, love the pieces that they've put in place these last couple of years. Of course, Sauce Gardner at number, pick number four overall in the 2022 draft. Um, they had spent a couple of years building up that defensive line and had kind of neglected cornerback until last year with yeah. Sauce Gardner and then DJ Reed and Michael Carter played solid ball on the slot. So that's an excellent trio right there. We've got some question marks at safety where there's been a little bit of turnover. Um, but the defensive line is deep. And again, we're, we're in the preseason and we're seeing them beat up on backup offensive linemen. But they're another defensive line that we've said a bunch on this show that can roll seven or eight deep and rush the passer and create some havoc. And I think they've got the pieces to have another good defense this year. Yeah, I mean, guys like Will McDonald, their first-round draft pick, and Bryce Huff, who was a really productive situational guy last year. I mean, those guys are second and third string on this defensive line and just wrecking backup offensive linemen. All those guys can contribute during the season. They, you know, restructured Kyle Lawson, so he's going to stay around. They're not getting rid of him. So you've got Carl Lawson, Jermaine Johnson, last year's first-round pick, Will McDonald, this year's first-round draft pick, Bryce Huff, John Franklin Myers, Quinton Williams, Quinton Jefferson. Like, that's a, that's a nasty defensive front. Yeah. I, I mean, that's – and theoretically, you know, the whole – if you're going to be winning more games – you've got more of those guys to send after the quarterback, right? You want to you want to build a defensive line that's going to hold a seven-point lead, hold a 10-point lead, rush the passer in must-pass situations, and do it effectively. They've got the pieces to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned safety. You know, Chuck Clark came in. Did he get hurt? Didn't he get hurt already? Yeah. Um, they have Adrian Amos on the roster. I think he just kind of went from a really productive player to... Not at all. To not at all, but... You know, he's had a very good career. Jordan Whitehead is solid. Um, C.J. Mosley had a career year last year. He hadn't played that well in years at linebacker. Um, so it's a good group. It's a good group on defense and what Sala, head coach Robert Sala, has wanted for years. That's what he yeah. had in, in San Francisco back in 2019 when they were rushing the passer like crazy. Their defense should be really good. The offense, the offense really comes down to it should be really good, but does the offensive line undermine the whole thing? Like the backfield is great. Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, Michael Carter. The receiving the receiving core is really good if Garrett Wilson is there. If Garrett Wilson gets hurt, I think the, com- the complexion completely changes because now you're looking at the great Corey Davis being their number one or Alan Lazard being their number one. Like that, the whole thing changes, I think, if Garrett Wilson isn't there. But if he is, that's a really good receiving core. Aaron Rodgers... I think will look more like the back-to-back MVP Rodgers than he looked like last year. So the offense should cook as long as that offensive line isn't like an absolute disaster. All right, breaking news from yesterday. Aaron Rodgers asked about his concern level on the offensive line that we keep talking about. Because of all the sacks? Because of all the sacks. The by Manscaped. He said, quote, very low, end quote. Not concerned, Aaron Rodgers. Are you concerned about the Jets' offensive line? Maybe you are. Um, still think they could maybe trade for Josh Jones. Play a little tackle. Think about it. Go for it. All right, man. Jets over unders nine and a half. Over. Double over. digit win. Over team. for the Jets. Who's winning this division? We save that for the prediction show. Oh, all we're knows. doing is laying out all the the facts mm-hmm. so far here in our preview shows. We're not making picks. No official picks here just yet. 
That's it. Eight teams. That's it. That's all the teams. We missed anybody out. We probably forgot the Titans. <laughs> no, no Titans today. Um, that's eight teams, both of the Easts, NFC and AFC. We're halfway through the NFL this quickly. And uh, we're probably in Detroit right now watching practice. Maybe we're driving home. Who knows what we're really doing at this point. Talked a lot of football and a lot of sacks. We have certainly done that. All right. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. This is the Thursday episode. We'll be back again on Monday with more PFF NFL podcasts.